So this is our last episode of the season. Yes. And I initially was going to be like, oh, let's take a moment to celebrate our having made this journey, my my appreciation and love for you, uh, and and then like offer you like a box with a gift in it. And then it was, of course, going to be like raw chicken. And <laughs> I would have been so mad. I, I would I would have thrown it at the at the penguin you, and you walked out. <laughs> Just... Which might have been worth it, but it it had like it like had a stank to it, and I, like raw chicken already makes me gag. And I, I probably would have noticed the stank before <laughs> I opened the box. Is the problem? <laughs> no, 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 open the box. Don't do it. <laughs> it's not what you think it is. Hmm. I know it's, it reeks like. Uh, decomposing chicken flesh, but it's not that. Uh, so weirdly specific misdirection. <laughs> oh, damn it! No! I think it was like the fifth or sixth grade. They're trying to teach us about decomposition because I went to a school for serial killers. <laughs> you know, that explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, all things considered, I turned out pretty well. Yeah? <laughs> so, like, three to four weeks earlier, they had buried a chicken breast. Oh, no. Like, in the back of the school. God damn it. Of course you have a goddamn <laughs> school story relevant to the idea of raw chicken. Oh, God. And I, you know, actually, this might have been a very successful way of deterring me from becoming a serial killer. Because when they exhumed the chicken breast, the stank was so foul that, like, I almost threw up. Uh, I didn't learn anything other than, like, dead body stank. You gained an aversion. I did. I did. You know, actually, I... <laughs> I've, I really haven't enjoyed chickens super, super much since then. Huh. Huh. Almost like seeing the rotting cor- corpse of a chicken titty is. Uh, <laughs> so instead of that, instead of, of, of that opening. Thank God. Um, and it, it still relates. I was thinking about Jason Bateman, as I often do. As you should. And his crabby hands. <laughs> and I was thinking about super powers that aren't the worst. But aren't all are also not like super helpful. <laughs> okay, because there's there's some, some there are some weird ones out there. There's one Morlock from the X Men that sweats sugar, and that one oh, I was not aware of that. Yeah, I don't. It's not really a reoccurring character. <laughs> oh no, he's gonna be covered in ants constantly. Flies. Yeah, flies oh ants. no, uh, it, he was more there to say like, hey. I know this comic book's about those sexy mutants over there with the sexy powers, but you also, you also got me. <laughs> There's also us you have to worry about. Yeah. We're X-Men, too. <laughs> those poor Morlocks. <laughs> um, so instead of just off the top of my head thinking of, of random superpowers, I was thinking I wanted to attribute a meh superpower to some of the guests we've had and see if you can figure out... <laughs> Who it is. Oh, so you're, you're going to give me mm-hmm. a superpower. I'm going to guess the guest. Correct. Okay. This is a power where you can change anything. You can make anything vegan if you scream at the top of your lungs, hail Satan. It's Scott. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. absolutely yeah. Scott. <laughs> uh, so Scott McGrath, our uh, yeah. director of photography, who was here for Saving Christmas, if you remember. This power allows you to just like really 
nail sexual positions, but not like to do them, but to name them. So hmm. uh, this person could like watch any configuration of body parts and then like come up with like a a, a rolling thunder <laughs> is when you uh, get into a wheelbarrow and just fuck on the way down the hills. I, Caleb? I, it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Caleb Figgles from the uh, Making a Martini podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he'll really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I, had a, I had a couple. Oh, the this power allows you to identify a taint from like like a quarter mile away. Like <laughs> like through walls even. So like a, a taint? Yeah, and you can identify like the person. So you got grundle sense. <laughs> um Yes. Oh god. Um it's not Rob, is it? No, no, no. Ah, no. oh, God, I don't know. Uh, it's Vince. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna need to elucidate that one a little bit more. <laughs> the, well, that was less. That just he just drew badly. Like he just. <laughs> okay, so it's just bad Vince luck that yeah, he got. He got the taint power. It's Vince's luck slash enjoying the suffering of others. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I imagine him working in like a police unit where they're like, all right, where is he in the building? And he's like, that way. <laughs> Wind's blowing north, northeast. Three floors up. Room 304. He, he had fruity pebbles for breakfast. <laughs> uh, oh, he, oh, damn it. He's recently had a colonoscopy. Oh, God. These are all knife picker reject characters. <laughs> the of course. ability to uh, not lactate, but to produce coffee from your teats. I think one is caffeinated, the other one's decaf. Is it me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you're I'm really good at this game. I'm, so, I'm glad I got one. That's <laughs> uh, amazing. But I, most I was like, I was, I thought of that. And then I, I imagined you being on set as the producer and just how helpful that would be to like, it's like two in the morning. I mean, We've I already run, run out of coffee on set. Like, Fear not, <laughs> citizens. I assume there's like Velcro. You're just like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm out of caffeinated. So you got to go with decaf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a cat getting milk from a udder. Uh, so I don't know if you know somebody like this, but. You, they're like, oh, that was that one movie, uh, with with um, it was like an action movie with uh the one guy from that other series. This is Antonio. Well, his ability, yes, his ability is to know exactly what that movie is. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, that's a little on the nose. It is a little on the nose. I I spent my load on the coffee one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the last one is the ability to make farts first tangible like you can kind of collect them up into like almost like a cotton candy a fart okay okay and then weaponize it so i don't think it's jill no no she can't throw farts <laughs> i doubt it's belinda it <laughs> no no unfortunately not um okay so then that leaves mm -hmm. that leaves faith who i don't think it's faith no it's none of it's none of the women that have guessed it uh 
Is it Raphael? No, it's me. Oh, it's you. Me. Oh, I have weaponized it. farts. Oh, you actually, you know what? That's yeah. true. Yeah. Oh, you had a pizza before I got here. I didn't you? You was. Motherfucker. I had two options for what I was going to eat before we podcasted. One was uh, a bowl of life cereal with granola on top. Okay. And the other one was a bag of steamed broccoli. <laughs> and, uh, and, you've only... sealed, and you've sealed me in this room with sound blankets. <laughs> only you will decide. Oh, no. Uh, hey, welcome to Durazzle. The podcast takes award-winning worst films and fixes them. I'm host Jack Colbertson. Here, Suffer Long Sideway, as always, is also host... Joe Nealis. Please pray for my nostrils. <laughs> All the movies under Razzled won worst pictures of the Razzies. The Razzies, for those of you who don't know, are something of reverse Oscars. They recognize the worst films of the year, except when they're too busy making fun of Bruce Willis, only to or, choke on the foot in their mouth. Or nominating something that's not actually a f- movie. <laughs> or nominating and awarding the worst picture of the year to something that's not a movie. A, a Yeah, Yeah, a a recorded version of a stage musical. So while the Razzies were busy apologizing... Let's be fair. Mm -hmm. Botching a condolence and then Mm. apologizing. And and then also reminding us about the time they fucked up with Shelley Duvall. They did did reinforce that, yes. I mean, Uh, they they took it back. They did acknowledge that it was a mistake, but they kind of went out of their way to make us think about it again. Yeah, like, you know, none of us really were kind of... Over 30 years ago. Yeah, it was a long time, guys. Don't care. Anyway. Uh, anyway, they committed their most egregious sin by not nominating Thunder Force. For literally anything. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and fix that one for them. And for everybody. Joe, today, for our season one finale, we're going to razzy up Thunder Force. And then we're going to derazzle Thunder Force. Hold on. <laughs> It was never Raz, so we have to Razzy it for the Razzies. Oh, so we so are, are we going to nominate it for things and then give it an award? Yes, yes, excellent. The rules of improv say I have to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will give them this Bruce Campbell Funko Pop. No, that's too nice. Yeah, yeah. My stuff's too cool for the Razzies. It's true. It's <laughs> shit. Well, hey, let's uh, let's do that. Let's do that thing right now. Uh, but first, we are going to remind you of things that you should be doing. Specifically, you should be subscribing and liking the show wherever you can, rating and reviewing the show wherever you can to help make it easier for people to find us. Uh, spread the word so people can track us down and enjoy everything that season one has to offer. I found a ghost cookie cutter. That's the prize. That's, 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 that's the Razzie that... <laughs> Thunder Force will be getting. I don't. Why do I have a ghost cookie cutter on my bookshelf? Actually, that's not surprising to me in the least. But I think that's a better award than the Bruce Campbell. Yeah, that's fair. So let's talk about what I'm going to summarize the movie. You or you seem so despondent about this. (laughs) Just I really hate this movie. (laughs) I really hate this movie. I'm saying it on air, so we have to do it, and you definitely won't cut it. We're next. Next season, we're covering Caligula. Like, we're doing Caligula. <laughs> that is my gift to myself for making it through Thunder Force. Was Caligula nominated for Razzies? I don't think so. No? So Okay, so it's just one for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's one for me. All right, Jack. That, that, that would be our collab with Caleb, and he'll, get, he'll make us Caligula-themed <laughs> cocktails. That sounds really good, actually. And dirty. Okay, 
So that's that. You just have to make it through this, and you get Caligula. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this bootleg Marvel movie opens by ripping off the Fantastic Four's origin, wherein Earth is bombarded by cosmic rays, causing those affected to gain generic superpowers, except... In Thunder Force, only those with antisocial personality disorder, commonly referred to as sociopathy, receive powers, which would mean that only Mr. Fantastic would have gained powers. <laughs> That's right, Reed. I'm coming for you. <laughs> get him. Fucking you're, get you're a him. terrible husband and a lousy lover. Sue deserves better. When's the, last ti- when's the last time you've hung out with your kids? <laughs> I have kids? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> In 1983, Emily Stanton's parents were killed by a radioactive fart. Jealous of her lack of fart powers, Emily devotes her life to giving those poor, poor neuro- neurotypical people powers as well. Uh, unfortunately, she's befriended by metalhead derp tart Lydia. Jesus Christ! I imagine a derp tart is like a plain cinnamon pop tart with like a raisin spread on top. A, uh, yeah, a raisin spread. Yeah. Is it bad that I would eat that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you would need so much milk or coffee because that thing's gonna be. Dry. I mean, I would, I would obviously be having it with coffee. I have already supplied. <laughs> Just come on. Just... Lydia feels like a clerk's character cut in the second draft of the script. This odd couple's friendship ends when Lydia forgets to wake up, uh, wake Emily in time for the SATs. To which Emily tells Lydia that she has broader ambitions than being a metalhead derp tart. Thus ending the world's flimsiest friendship. We jump to the present, where the miscreants, the name given to those empowered sociopaths, have continued their reign of tyranny, committing such crimes as manipulating voters, robbing banks, and destroying property. Somewhere the Joker stops dumping Joker serum into the water supply, poisoning future generations of Gothamites with his own debilitating madness long enough to whisper, Amateurs. <laughs> There's some kind of reunion, I honestly... Class reunion, yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. That Lydia attends in hopes of reconnecting with Emily. Yes. Kmart brand Milton from Office Space tries to tell a knock-knock joke that adds nothing to the plot. This being oh. its second appearance, this feels like a setup for a payoff later, but none would be had. Never seen again. Nope. Emily doesn't show, so Lydia goes to Chicago's equivalent of Stark Tower to find her. Emily, played by Octavia Spencer, with a blandness that makes raw tofu feel spicy, is happy to see her friend? It's a warranted question mark. Until Lydia curious Georges into a lab and is injected with superpowers via Freddy Krueger needle fingers as seen in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Nice. Luckily, the data was saved and a new serum quickly reproduced. A minor setback, certainly. <laughs> this is why there are built-in safety nets in science and tech. I'm kidding. They just had the one. They only had the one. They, they had that one dose. The one. There's <laughs> never another one. It was just this. They only had that one dose of super soldier serum because Emily is actually Dr. Frankenstein and skipping animal trials and human trials, intending to ride the dragon her own damned self. <laughs> also, Emily has a kid who plays Fortnite. Surprise. I, I think she has Fort, it's Fortnite. It is Fortnite, yes. I suppose uh, the, the, her name, Tracy, her name, her name, Tracy. Uh, <laughs> G. Tracy. Tracy Bane. <laughs> I suppose Tracy is meant to show what a balanced version of Lydia and her mother would look like. She displays a strong work ethic without being a workaholic and enjoys goofing without being a lazy fuck up like Lydia. Uh, this would be a great catalyst for conflict between Emily and Lydia if this movie didn't have such a debi- debilitating phobia 
of dramatic tension. Yep. After all, the plot is intentionally wire thin in order to allow Melissa McCarthy to hang her hilarious shenanigans upon one painfully dull montage slash vignette later. Lydia and I yada yada over that entire like science. Man, that is man, a long. That is the is the longest fucking training montage of any film ever. It's it's the entire end of the first act. Yeah, it's it's like a half an hour, or it feels like half an hour of time goes past. So we we get to their first mission. This is overseen by Tracy and Allie. Allie is the assistant, maybe? Who knows? It doesn't she's matter. like a CIA liaison. Who's is that like, what it is? Yeah, yeah. Or she's ex-CIA and is supposed to be like, like, uh, like the executive assistant, like slash administrator, who's like helping to run everything. I definitely didn't make her Emily's gay lover in the fix. I wouldn't do anything like that. Don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> what do you? Allie, played by Melissa Leo, feels like the audience surrogate. She's made a mistake of watching this garbage and is very mad at Melissa Carthy for bringing it into existence. Lucky for her slash us, we get a scene with legally licensed funny person Jason Bateman, who must be really, really good friends with McCarthy because there's no reason for him to be here. None. Actually, he's best friends supposedly with Ben Falcone, uh, and Ben Falcone offered him the role via text message in the middle of a conversation about baseball. That sounds oh, like a he's... joke, but that's actually what happened. He... Like he actually asked him, was like, "Hey, you want to be in a movie?" And Jason's like, "What?" <laughs> B- uh, Bateman's in recovery, right? Wait, what? Uh, Jason Bateman? I think he's. I was going to say like, yeah, they're probably drunk at the time too, but I'm like, actually, I think he's in recovery. I have no idea. No, it was just just a regular text mm, conversation. We'll just oh, it was just over text. Yeah, uh, the, I'm sure there's some miscommunication there. You want to you want to be a crab man? Uh, yeah, I love crab. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah, sign me up. Fuck. <laughs> uh, I can see that. Anyway, he's he's a really funny crab man and has no right to be. I mean, he's he's just Jason Batemaning, which is yeah. all you need. He's great. Yeah. So Jason Crabman is robbing a convenience <laughs> store with goons. Thunder Force deals with the goons with relative ease, but Lydia and Crabman want to fuck as shown in a uh, 80s style dream sequence. I like this part. Uh, this is like the one part in the shitty movie. I, there's like, usually like one part in a shitty movie. I'm like, I actually like that part. I think it goes on a little bit too long, but yeah. it is enjoyable. Like it's a, it, it's, it's just a fun moment. Emily brings Lydia back to reality as Jason Crab walks away. A running gag that I found pretty effective. It is the one of the only running gags in any of the movies they've done, which yeah. we'll we'll get to, that I've enjoyed. He's just so dedicated to it. He really just leans into it. Just the, the, the fact that he like. Tenses up and his arms go yeah. up and then he shuffles. His like, eyes just... lock. Yep. <laughs> uh, uh, side note, as a child, I had a Sebastian the Crab toy from like McDonald's yeah. or something. Yeah. And I thought it was broken because I didn't know crabs went sideways. Went sideways. So it was like, I got a broken. Oh, man. Aww. Jason Crabman works for Evil Mayor, who is using the miscreants as a false flag for his election. Aside from Jason Crabman, his team consists of uh, Laser Mantis, played by Palm Clementif. Clementif, yeah. And Kenny slash uh, Mr. Melissa McCarthy, who's actually not totally unenjoyable as Kenny for his full five minutes. No, Ben. See, that's the thing is that Ben Falcone actually is like a decent comedic actor, like Mm -hmm. like at least in terms of like the tone that he carries with his characters, uh, which there's there's one that I'll get into later, but he... Yeah, I feel like he does a pretty good job in this, but they kind of ride that bit too hard. That can which, be said for the entire movie. That's the thing. Yeah, like it's a repeating pattern with them. You could, I forget how long this movie was, maybe a little over an hour and a half. Something like that, yeah. But I feel like 
you probably could trim this down to like at least 80 minutes. Yeah. Like just over an hour. If you took out all the like the very long, there's got to be a word for family guying. Family guying. I think, yeah. you, I think you just nailed is that what it. Is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just it, when it works, it works. But and it did not it, work and at when all. when it doesn't, you have like almost a whole minute of, uh, of yeah. Urkel impression. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. God damn it, Joe. I somehow managed to forget that. Look. I yada yada over that. God I, I know, damn it. I know you did, which is why I brought it up, mm. because I had I had to suffer. We'll get into how much I suffered later. Go on. So I just, my mind just went to a place where not only is it a running gag, but it's like a meta running gag where she does that in every single one of her movies. There's just like a weird Urkel joke that doesn't ever land. Oh, my God. I would be... <laughs> Oh god! I don't know if that'd be worse or better. I would be impressed. Yeah, it's just the dedication to that bit—a terrible bit that does not get a single laugh ever. Anyway, <laughs> the evil mayor threatens Thunder Force. Lydia fucks a crab. Evil mayor loses the election and kills some of his staff, and then he's he's gonna blow up the new mayor. And I, I also need to note: evil evil mayor candidate is goes by the king. Oh fuck! That's so, a running gag too. Yeah. It's not even quite a running gag. It's mm-hmm. just like right away, like how do we telegraph to everybody that this politician's evil? Yeah. He tries to go by the king. There is no subtlety to be had. No. <laughs> anywhere in this film. Lydia and Emily have a fight. I can't remember why, but it's a super thinly veiled attempt to add some act three tension. But they almost immediately resolve it as it, it doesn't oh. It was the it was the bus the bus thing. Yeah, she throws the bus because when she gets when she first gets the superpowers during the training montage that you yada yada over, they mentioned <laughs> that she would be able to do that. And she's like, "Oh, I'm absolutely throwing a bus." All right, the... and then she finally gets the opportunity to throws it, and it's immediately like, "Oh, sorry," and that sparks the entire like, "Why? Why is our friendship again?" I'm so glad they paid off on that joke. Kind of. <laughs> I must have been distracted by all the raw chicken eating done by Melissa McCarthy and Jay Crabs. Lydia and Emily go to stop Evil Mayor. They almost die, but are saved by Emily's daughter, Kid Flash. Jason, now without claws, tells them where the bomb is. Lydia's plan is to toss the bomb into the river, something she could have done by underhanding the bomb. Instead, Lydia needlessly jumps from the window with the bomb in her hand, which honestly is kind of in character for her and could have been done for like a decent gag, but they decided at this exact moment to finally try some dramatic tension? Yeah. Had they actually like developed the character more to get to the point yeah. where she would have that kind of moment of self-sacrifice? Sure, I get that. Or even just one line of dialogue saying, no, I need to make sure this really sinks. I don't want it to float on the surface and hurt someone nearby. Oh, see, I wanted to go the other direction where they're all like, you don't need to, you, you can just toss it. And she's like, no, 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 I'll jump. And her being an <laughs> idiot, they're just like, God damn. Okay, that could have worked too. That, uh, that also could have worked. Like no anti growth. Yeah, anti growth. Because I can't see this character having any growth ever. Um, <laughs> the movie ends with McCarthy committing several fad dances, an act that, according to Dante's The Divine Comedy, places her in the seventh circle of hell, a circle reserved for murderers, blasphemers, and people who suited the floss in 2021. Yeah. No, if I'm not mistaken, Dante specifically said that mm-hmm. flossing was dead in 2016. Yeah. I don't know if you stuck around for the post credit scene, um, but Octavia Spencer throws her Oscar into an active volcano. Oh, neat. Yeah. The end. <laughs> this was... Th- Just kidding. The post credit scene's more raw chicken eating. Oh, fuck. I made that joke and then forgot there actually is a post-credit. There is. A, there, yeah, it's more, it's more raw chicken eating. 
Uh, oh, actually, there is a really good sight gag because since Jason Bateman's crab hands had been ripped off, you do get that like his oh, little right. new crab hand is growing yeah. back as real tiny and stupid, do, which does... actually kind of works. Yeah. If it weren't for the fact that they're eating raw chicken for like the fifth time in this goddamn movie. Uh, raw chicken in general makes me gag. Like, I can't, I can't touch it. So like the whole conceit of the raw chicken in this movie is that... Because of the treatment that she's undergone to get these powers, her body can't handle any other forms of protein. That's just flat out not how nutrition works. There are tons of ways for you to get protein without, like, I don't know, cooking a steak or whatever. Like, you like, you don't need that. <laughs> you I, don't. It, mm. I see those strong boys all the time just drinking muscle drinks. Yeah, there's that. And also. also Unless there's raw chicken in there. Also. Cooked chicken is extremely <laughs> gentle on the human digestive system. Who the fucking thunk? <laughs> if they had added a scene where Octavia Spencer kind of leans over, she's like, "I'm just lying." They like <laughs> just made that up, just told that to her. Uh, yeah, no, this is this is absolutely revenge for all the bullshit right. she put me through as a kid. Right, uh, but that that didn't happen because they they. Wrote the script on a couple of cocktail napkins. Didn't bother with second draft. <laughs> now we get to the part where I suffer through uh, you. Kind oh, excellent. By, by proxy suffering. Fantastic. <laughs> well, welcome to Lapse Academic, a podcast within a podcast where one man uses the research skills he picked up getting a master's degree for hell. For absolute fucking hell. So, as you may have gleaned from everything we've talked about thus far... It seems like there's a lot wrong with this film and that perhaps they don't understand how comedy works. Mm -hmm. Specifically that Ben Falcone as a writer and director does not understand how comedy works. So I have to admit something. It's a dark secret that I've only recently admitted to Jack because the work has necessitated it. And now I have to admit it here. I paid money to see Tammy in theaters when it first came out. Tammy being the very first film that McCarthy and Falcone did together. And the first thing I thought whenever I saw Thunder Force was this already has so much wrong with it that harkens back to that. And so that got me wondering what the hell happens with the rest of these movies. So I watched everything that on the day productions, Falcone and McCarthy's production company it's a has terrible name done. for production stuff, somebody. It, it is. I, I'm not a fan. But I, I watched all of them, specifically Tammy, The Boss, Life, uh, Life of the Party, Super Intelligence, and, of course, Thunder Force. Uh, so I did some research to try and figure out what the hell <laughs> – is going on with these films. What has the process looked like? How did they get to this point? They've done now five major motion pictures together and are still being rampantly panned for just not making good comedies. So real quick, I want to cite some sources before we, before I dive in in depth. Uh, I listened to several interviews, uh, one with both McCarthy and Falcone uh, from uh, on the podcast Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. I also listened to several interviews with just Falcone himself uh, on uh, specifically from the ID10T podcast with Chris Hardwick, uh, Anna Ferris's Unqualified, uh, the Third and Fairfax WGAW podcast, and uh, and a brief uh, video interview from Screen Rant. 
I also read several articles and profiles, uh, including uh, one from Slate titled Melissa McCarthy, Please Stop Making Terrible Movies with Your Husband by Sam Adams. A New York Times profile of McCarthy called This Melissa McCarthy Story Might or Just Might Maybe Possibly Cheer You Up by Tammy Brodesser-Ankner. A New York Times profile on Adam Sandler called Adam Sandler's Everlasting Shtick by Jamie Lauren Keels. I'll get I'll get into okay. why that's relevant later. One from Screen Rant titled uh, "Why Melissa McCarthy's Next Movie with Ben Falcone Can Break a Bad Streak" by <laughs> Cathal Gunning, and I also have a bone to pick with fucking Screen Rant because Please. they they have they have those some, a bunch of those clickbaity articles where mm. it's just like what's going on with this movie sequel? And yeah. they have one for the idea of Thunder Force 2 that it's just like not has anti-information in it. It's just like Thunder Force 2 is not a movie that exists or has been greenlit. But if it were to make it, maybe it would come out around this time. Mm-hmm. And wow. that's basically, it's basically the entire article. And like, stop doing that. Just fucking stop making, that's... stop polluting the internet with bullshit articles like this just for C- for SEO. You didn't even take like a comment and spread it so thin that it creates an article you took like a shell yeah it's, it's, a it's exactly a shell it is exactly a shell of an article anyway and my, my last source came from IndieWire uh, Melissa McCarthy is the latest convert to the streaming centric reality that's taken hold of Hollywood by Chris Lindahl hmm. uh, so a lot of people already know how Falcone and McCarthy got together they were in the groundlings in uh, in LA from the late 90s through about 2010 2011 I believe hmm. Uh, but the important parts of this story actually start during the 0708 writer's strike because it was during this time they were both already active in Hollywood and television. Um, most know or the uh, people mostly know McCarthy from Gilmore Girls and from Mike and Molly. <laughs> and Falcone's just done a bunch of like behind the scenes stuff, writing stuff. I think he actually got his first writing gig on the Looney Tunes show, if I'm not mistaken. It was during the writer's strike when there were, when all these productions were shut down and people were losing jobs and you know, people were picketing. That Falcone begins developing a potential project for his wife. The idea is a road trip story uh, featuring McCarthy traveling with her grandmother. And he pitches the idea to her and she says, that's great. She's very supportive. She suggests that he does it. And then it evolves into them writing it together. And that eventually became Tammy, which came out in 2014. Okay. So overall, it took about six or seven years for this movie to come to fruition, but it got optioned in 2011. They pitched it to New Line Cinema uh, about a story, uh, about a uh, down on her luck woman going on a road trip with her alcoholic grandmother to learn what she wants from life. And the reason it took three more years is because New Line actually said, you know, we want more. We think this could what? be bigger. So they, so they went back into rewrites. They were so excited about Melissa McCarthy after her performance in Bridesmaids right. that they just wanted to see more. They wanted to give her a bigger vehicle to really showcase ah. what she can do. So Tammy became the first film that on that on the day productions did in partnership with New Line Cinema and with uh, Gary Sanchez Productions. Okay. So pre-production uh, ran through 2012, including that expansion of the script. Falcone was originally not going to be the director of this film. Uh, New Line actually gave them the okay to uh, to direct it together after several other people supposedly turned to, uh, turned the project down. Mm-hmm. Uh, other names that were potentially attached were Rob Reiner, Tate Taylor, and Beth McCarthy Miller. The last two names I'm not really familiar no, with. But they gave they gave McCarthy and Falcone the okay to direct it together. But Melissa had to step down from from uh, directorial duties because of her busy schedule, so she mm-hmm. kept producer duties as well as you know starring. 
But Falcone took over the director's seat himself. He was really nervous about doing so, but there was one thing that actually gave him the confidence to do it, and it was recent success of fellow groundlings in similar arenas, specifically Jim Rash. Oh, okay. So this movie actually did surprisingly well. So it has a very modest budget. It was a $20 million budget. Its opening weekend brought in $21 million, so it's already recouped okay. then. Uh, it ends up bringing in $84.5 million in the U.S. and Canada, and a hundred million globally. In in the American public's defense, uh, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot to watch those couple of years after the writer's strike. No, uh, there, there, no, there wasn't. I mean, this is uh, also this is now a while after the writer's strike that this actually comes out. Mm, so I can't blame it on the whole like look at Wolverine well, Origins where Deadpool had no. Mouth. No, you okay. can't. Well, and there's actually another argument that kind of like makes you wonder how the fuck did they get to continue making these comedies? Because uh-huh. the overall market share of comedies has su- significantly declined. Like It's gone down to like a quarter of what it was in the 2000s. Okay. Like, it's starting to climb up a little bit now because everyone's horribly depressed and needs to right. laugh a little bit, <laughs> right. but it's only taken until now that it's starting to like climb again. Like Comedy gotcha. has fallen into a hole. Uh, and given a lot of that is Marvel's fault because so many people are just throwing money at Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah. But I digress. One of the reasons, aside from McCarthy's uh, draw, was this movie had an absolutely absurd cast. Oscar winners Susan Sarandon and Kathy Bates were both on cast because they had previously worked with McCarthy on Mike and Molly. Hmm. Other notables include Allison Janney, Dan Aykroyd for like five minutes, Mark (laughs) Duplass, Gary Cole, Tony Collette, and Sandra Oh. The fuck? Yeah. Specifically, Kathy Bates and Sandra Oh are a lesbian couple in this movie. It's It's actually kind of great. It's one of the best parts of the film. But- like this That's, cast sounds great. Like I kind of want to watch if it, if you didn't tell me anything else about it, just the cast. Like, the, oh, yeah, right the now. cast sounds amazing. It was I think one of the reasons why I ended up seeing it in theaters. This movie's nonsense. So again, despite this uh, surface appearance of success, the film was panned for feeling disjointed, jumbled, and somehow simultaneously foul-mouthed and safe. Huh. So like it's weird in terms of like the cantankerousness of McCarthy's character mm-hmm. and the just utter like stupidity of the character like she doesn't understand how anything goddamn works mm-hmm. and then magically at the end like i've heard some people uh on in various forums uh panning it because she they i think somebody claimed that they she basically straightens her hair and then suddenly becomes smarter it's <laughs> okay bizarre that's how that works right sure uh some quick stats this movie has 24% of uh on rotten tomatoes for a critic score 36% from the audience and a 4.9 on IMDb. Okay. Yeah, that's it right. was nominated for Worst Actress and Worst Supporting Actress for Susan Sarandon at the Razzies. It did not win either. Hmm. Uh, oddly, Ben Falcone won the film's only award, Directors to Watch at the Palm Springs International Film Festival. I beg your pardon? Yeah. I, I, no, I did not stutter. That is a fact. Watch, like, watch out, like, they might look at... Oh, like it could be a warning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I didn't read it that way. That could... It could have been... Yeah. It could have been a... It could have been leading to a cease and desist, but... it's, it's like, it's not... It's a mole, <laughs> but it could be worse. Just keep an eye on it. <laughs> so, again, this brought in $100 million overall. So, naturally, they're right. going to get another yeah. another attempt to, to, you know, to make a movie together, which resulted in 2016's The Boss. Uh, it got pitched during production for for Tammy, and it got picked up for distribution by Universal. So, they're moving up to a bigger yeah. studio now. Uh, and the entire idea for this one stemmed from a, a, a character that McCarthy created for the Groundlings named Mich- Michelle Darnell. She's basically just a, a female mogul 
type character. Like it, I hate to say Lady Donald Trump, but there's yeah. parallels, gotcha. and it's it makes this film out of all of them. This film made me the most angry. Okay. Even more so than Thunder Force? Even more so than Thunder Force, yeah. Oh, like, this dear. actually had me, like, raging angry. Uh, because, like, the like the major conceit of this is, is that uh, Michelle Darnell was an orphan who was largely unadoptable. Like, mm-hmm. the, the movie opens with her being returned to an orphanage by several families until she's, like, okay. flipping off the families uh, as they drive away. Uh, and then she becomes, you know, this closed-off distant loner who becomes a multi-millionaire guru of some sort it's really not clear what she does okay i hate that yeah like she's rich my job is rich her job is rich and she gets brought down for insider trading by a because of a tip but from a uh a a bitter ex-lover played by peter dinklage they drag peter dinklage into this the character he plays is absolutely bizarre but Uh man is he like fascinating to watch in this and her her comeback is to is to latch onto her former assistant like a lamprey, uh-huh. and uh, her former assistant is Kristen Bell, who is actually good in this movie. Is she puts on a very good performance? Okay, and uh, and ends up bonding with her with her and her daughter, and then comes up with a business idea for her raging comeback, which is a competitor to the Girl Scouts, where she where she rewards the Girl Scouts with money for selling brownies. Okay. Yeah, it's it's it all sucks. It's all shitty. My body's trying to put me to sleep as a defense mechanism. I understand. <laughs> uh, the original title was just the name of the character, Michelle Darnell. Uh, but you know they right, cha- yeah, they yeah. changed that because no one's going to recognize that outside of the people who are in the Groundlings with them. But the familiarity with the character allowed them to, to make a much faster turnaround on the script, and okay. all of their movies just have faster and faster production times. Like, like okay. after they after they kind of hit the ground with Tammy, everything's just everything's so much faster, which kind of explains yeah. maybe why some things are less developed. But uh, this one is the first one that's co-written with somebody else. So uh, is is McCarthy, it's Falcone, and it's also Steve Mallory, who I'll talk more about later. Okay, uh, This one's less of a success. Uh, this had a, a larger budget, $29 million, uh, and it only brought in 23.6 in its opening weekend, 63.3 overall for U.S. and Canada, and 78.8 globally. So, so it's weird. The, that, numbers are already dwindling. Of the list that you give, you've given, this is the only one I recognized. Really? Yeah. That's kind of wild. <laughs> it doesn't get better. For them from this <laughs> okay, point on. Good. This one also has another staggering cast. I mentioned Kristen Bell. Kathy Bates comes back again. God damn it, Kathy. Um, You're better than I this. mentioned Peter Dinklage, who I will note real quick, uh, they were not originally sure, or at least at least according to IMDB trivia, they mm-hmm. weren't initially sure who was going to be playing the ex-lover, and they weren't sure of the gender of the character at first. Sure. And it's rumored that Oprah, John Hamm, and Sandra Bullock were also up for this role, and they went with Peter Dinklage. Oprah. Oprah. That like the like Oprah Winfrey Oprah. Also a fun fact, uh Dinklage's character is headquarters has his name plastered on the side of it, and whenever McCarthy sees it, she flips it off. Mm-hmm. Uh that building's actually Trump Tower Chicago. So she's flipping uh, off Trump Tower Chicago like in the movie. And again, this came out in twenty sixteen, so we're like mid I see. uh Trump campaign nonsense. So Okay. Uh, additional cast includes Tyler Labine in, par- in probably the worst written role I've ever seen him in. Hmm. Uh, Cecily Strong, from who I believe was on SNL. Uh, Kristen Schaal, fellow groundling Michael McDonald, character actress Margot Martindale, and Cedric Yarborough. Uh, there are also deleted appearances from Dax Shepard and Dave Bautista, who, if I'm not mistaken, McCarthy punches in the nuts. Right, yeah, that 
tracks, I guess. I, yeah. While McCarthy's performance does receive some praise, the movie is panned as, and I quote, a baggy mess of inconsistent gags and tissue-thin writing. While this one actually has arguably the most clear conflict driving its plot, mm. the timeline of events feels absurdly fast, and the reasons for things happening or the consequences of the things mm-hmm. happening just sometimes don't make any goddamn sense. And in terms of just, like, inconsistent, like, ill-conceived gags, I got so angry about one in particular. When McCarthy comes to stay with her former assistant, she's sleeping on a couch, a pull-out couch bed. And so she starts, like, you know, easing her way onto it because, you know, it's a couch bed. It's not going to be comfortable. And... You know how sometimes you'll sit on the end of a couch bed and like the couch will tip up if it's cheap and it's right, not like yeah, yeah. well well balanced. Well, this is the exact opposite, and the couch flips her into the wall. Listen, I ain't no scientist, but that doesn't sound right. It's it's not right. You you know what that would have worked with? What's that? A Murphy bed. Yeah, it would have been much better if she had been closed into the wall with a Murphy bed. I. It's a simple joke. It's a classic joke. <laughs> it's a classic. In fact, it's uh, on my bucket list to be crushed into a wall by a Murphy bed at some point in my life. It does seem like it'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Here's the thing that makes me the most angry. They bring that joke back. Of course they do. Because at the end of the movie, she gifts that couch to somebody who has been a pain in her ass the entire uh-huh. movie. And she gets launched by the by the bed as well, except she gets launched through a glass window. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, okay. You know, uh, not to break your momentum up, but by l- learning that – I didn't I didn't know she was in the Groundlings. She was in the Groundlings, yes. Um, that makes so much sense. I didn't know she – because it's like um, sketch-type sketch stuff, it's, right? It's sketch comedy and improv comedy, and that's where, she, that's where she makes a lot of her initial connections with people. I mean, Will Ferrell, um, mm-hmm. who – one half of the founder of the, or actually, well, the founder, if I'm not mistaken, of Gary Sanchez Productions, who both of these movies that, we, that I've just discussed uh, has a hand in. Okay. Maya Rudolph, Kristen Wiig, Jim Rash, Ben Falcone, Michael McDonald. In the past, mm-hmm. uh, the trifecta of amazing Groundlings alumni that are Phil Hartman, Paul Rubens, and Cassandra Peterson. The My brain, what? Yeah. I, you know, it's, I like knew they were in the Groundlings, but I hadn't put them together it's like oh that is the same group it's the same group oh, absolutely God. the same group um, yeah what I, what I was saying is I think that explains the shyness towards a more uh, traditional conflict driven plot I think I think you're right I think it does because a lot a lot of the bits do feel kind of like like they were written for sketches or mm-hmm. intended for sketches mm-hmm. and then there's like no connective tissue to keep it running yeah in a lot of cases uh, some stats on this one, uh, 22% critical score on Rotten Tomatoes, 38% for the audience, and a 5.4 on IMDb. Hmm. And this one had no Razzie nominations or win or, or other award wins. Okay. This eventually led to Life of the Party. They went back to work with New Line on this one. This had the fastest turnaround from pre-production to filming of any of these films yet, uh, just shy of five months if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, really fast. Uh, it's really, un- it's unclear how long Falcone and McCarthy had been working on the script right. or the idea, but like that turnaround alone, really quick. And this one's even less of a, of a success as before. And it has the biggest budget thus far. This one breaks 30 million. Okay. Uh, 17.9 million opening weekend, 53.1 million US and Canada overall, and 65.9 million globally. 
That's that's it. That's okay. that the cap for this one. Slightly more modest cast this time around. Mm. Uh, you have Matt Walsh as the ex-husband who is setting a possible world record for speed running a new relationship into marriage. Uh, okay. You have Molly Gordon, who the next year went on to, uh, to co-star in Booksmart uh, okay. as their daughter. You have uh, Gillian Jacobs as a, as a sorority sister who is famous for having been in a coma for eight years. And she mostly just makes weird faces. Like, they don't know what to do oh. with Gillian Jacobs in this movie. She can it be was, really funny. She can be really funny. Uh, she's, uh, she does such a great job as Britta on yeah. Community. And I've seen her be good in other things. This this one's just such a mess script-wise. It's... Mm. Fellow Groundling Maya Rudolph plays McCarthy's best friend, and also other fellow Groundling Chris Parnell uh, plays her professor, and I've seen some places report him as a former lover of McCarthy's character, but that is completely huh. un okay. like unclear sure. from the uh, from the film itself. Jackie Weaver and Stephen Root play McCarthy's parents. Jimmy O. Yang plays Molly Gordon's boyfriend. Uh, if anyone's watched Silicon Valley, he, uh, okay. th- uh, that's where I first experienced Jimmy O. Yang. He's very funny and not given anything to work with in this. Uh, and then there's uh, uh, additional cameos in here from uh, Falcone and McCarthy's dads and Christina okay. Aguilera. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the basic idea is is that McCarthy and her husband drop off their daughter for her senior year of college, and then immediately her husband says, I want a divorce, and reveals Uh that he's, like, dating a realtor who is also helping him sell their house. Doesn't seem like Falcone has any understanding of, like, how that (laughs) works, of how realty (laughs) works, but... She so she ends up deciding that uh, that she's going to go back to college and finish out her her degree. Thus, she's going back into her senior year w- alongside her daughter. And there's just so much in this movie that just doesn't make any goddamn sense. You know what this uh, feels like is it feels like they write the script with with McCarthy in, in mind. Oh yeah, they're always specifically written for McCarthy. Then they have X number of other characters they have to fill, and they're like, who who of our famous friends? Can we dupe into filling these roles? I mean, kind of. Yeah. Well, it's it's mostly it's it's mostly who who among our friends would we have fun working with in this yeah. that we think that we think would be a good time. Which it's it's mostly it's mostly that good time aspect that they're yeah. that they're thinking about. And I'll get into that more later. Okay. So this movie was praised a lot for its good natured humor. Uh, put you can put quotes around that. Sure. Uh, but the script and the direction, of course, were largely panned. Uh, and there's this bizarre Mean Girls-esque rivalry between McCarthy and Jacobs and, like, a couple of other girls in their hmm. archaeology class that just it feels completely, like, bizarrely ill-conceived. Okay. Like, it feels like they're writing a scene for high school students, but they're college seniors. Gotcha. Like, there is no reason that any grown adult focused on graduating from college would behave this way. The good-natured humor bit also gets a little bit undercut by Matt Walsh's character, uh, repeatedly claiming that he's upgrading his life by upgrading his wife, huh. uh, and all of the uh, nonsense that comes from that. Though I will note, he is the butt of most of the jokes, so there is kind okay. of they're they're kind of playing both sides of the fence on that one. And too many characters kind of feel like they have no idea what they think or feel about things. Most notably, their daughter, who. Like has zero to say about her parents' divorce, huh. and is the entire movie just seemed palling around with her mom. And while she like clearly feels awkward about the fact that her mom is like intruding into her social circle right. in in her last year of college, uh, she ends up just embracing her after like a like a shrug. I don't know. Well, we wouldn't but, want to have any conflict. 
No, you know, you can't have conflict. No. Uh, but then she ends up at her dad's wedding and walks in to see her mom and her and her friends like ruining the reception hall because of course that's a scene that happens. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Mom, what are you doing? And it's like, this is the first that we've seen you have any involvement with your father the entire movie. How are you this upset right. having without having expressed anything to anybody? It's it's bizarre. Uh, 38% from the critics on Rotten Tomatoes for this, 40% from the audience, and a 5.5 on IMDb. Okay. This did win a Razzie. McCarthy won for Worst Actress for this. However, she, it was one of those situations where she was nominated for everything she had done that year that okay. was not considered good. So she was also nominated for The Happy Time Murders, all as one nomination. So, she, so oh, okay. it's really unclear if this performance is what really gave her the win. I see. After that, we move on to Super Intelligence, which came out in 2020. They were still working with New Line Cinema on this one, and Warner Brothers gets uh, gets in on it as well. Production began immediately after McCarthy finished wrapping for The Kitchen in 2019. And this is the first of the films that they've done that's not written by either Falcone or McCarthy. This one's okay. written by Steve Mallory, who, again, fellow groundling, mm-hmm. and has been involved on some level in all of these productions and on some things outside of On, of on the Day. This also marks a weird shift. So this was originally supposed to come out around Christmas time in 2019 in theaters. And then all of the build up to what was going to become HBO Max was was starting to come oh, out. Yeah, yeah. And Falcone actually himself rethought the idea of the release and they opted to put it onto HBO Max, huh. which was going to end up delaying the release because HBO Max didn't actually launch until like May of 2020, I think. Something like that, yeah. So uh, Deadline did a you know, did a story about this. Uh, McCarthy uh, McCarthy had, had this to say. It was actually Ben's idea. It came from the filmmaker himself. We had a release date, a full marketing plan. I had all my press lined up. We were really ready to go. When the announcement came that HBO Max was really happening, Ben had this idea. And we thought, is this better? Different doesn't mean worse, and how are we watching films ourselves? To us, each movie is near and dear to our hearts. You just want people to see it and love it, and you want them to feel good. Superintelligence is at its core. Love wins. People matter. You want that to get to as many people as it can. We need that today, and this seemed like the best way to do it. So no, this wasn't imposed on us. We were ready to go the other way, and we decided to make the detour. And Falcone himself... Uh, on the matter said, I pride myself on living a fear-based life, and that won't stop. I don't exactly okay. remember the question, but I uh, but I wanted to make that clear to you and to everyone. Honestly, you can you can release a mid-budget movie, and if we'd stayed in the theaters, we could have done incredibly well. It, okay. Pause to roll your eyes. Right. Right. There are still those those examples of movies like this one that do, but for this movie at this time, we all felt the, it was the best way to go. The PG rating, the fact that uh, that they're starting this thing, all these streaming services are starting, and here we're up there with Sesame Street and Meryl Streep and J.J. Abrams and Hugh Jackman and Jordan Peele. There are cool people doing this. So following my fear-based mentality, I thought it was the best move. So the the base idea for this movie is, what if Skynet, but funny? Essentially, an AI gains sentience and decides it's going to judge the uh, the life on the planet based on the actions and choices of the most average person that it could possibly find. Okay. And that is McCarthy. I don't uh, hate the concept so far. No, it's actually kind of a cool idea. It's just that uh, just like everything else, it's not well, it's not right, well executed. Right. So uh, I will note that that uh, 
their move to put this on streaming was weirdly prescient because COVID. Right. Uh, but that further delayed the release and it didn't actually end up coming out until uh, until Thanksgiving of 2020. Huh. Okay. And the decision was also, uh, you know, perhaps coincidentally, uh, made as production was underway for Thunder Force. So they already had streaming hmm. in mind as they as uh, as HBO Max was being announced. So they thought, well, why not try both? Okay. This one did have a small uh, theatrical release internationally, though, not in the U.S. or Canada, mm, okay. but in a number of other countries: uh, Australia, New Zealand, Russia, Portugal, Germany, Hungary, and a few others. It only ended up bringing in four point two million dollars, and Ooh. because it's a streaming film, right. there's like we'll never no, know. we'll yeah. never know the budget for this for whatever reason. But there was a, a study done by Variety and TV Vision uh, that shows that it may have had less than a quarter of the streaming audience of Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Okay, that doesn't surprise me terribly. It, it, honestly, it doesn't surprise me either. But it's just an interesting, you know, yeah, I get interesting you. note I get to you. consider. This one again, we're you know, scaling down the the you know the bombastic cast a little bit here. Mm-hmm. So the sentient AI takes on the voice of James Corden, who also appears in the film occasionally, mm-hmm. uh, to put McCarthy's character at ease. She's an absurdly large James Corden fan, and as far as I'm aware, the only one in real life or in the movie. Yes. Okay. I don't know. Good. In the in, specifically in the movie. Gotcha. Uh, Bo- uh Bobby Cannavale. Uh, is in this movie as George, the romantic interest slash old flame. Uh, he is a creative writing professor and a Ken Griffey Jr. super fanboy. Brian Tyree Henry is a, is the uh, main support in this film as McCarthy's best friend and also the driving force be- behind trying to get the government to address this rogue AI issue. Mm. Uh, and there are also cameo appearances from Gene Smart as the president, Octavia Spencer, uh, specifically her voice as the AI to try and put Brian Tyree Henry's character at ease. Because uh, the, the, the computery voice freaks people out, so it just puts on like celebrity gotcha. voices okay. to make people sh- like chill, like cool the fuck down. Uh, William Daniels, specifically as Kit from Knight Rider, okay, uh, and Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, so, like of the trailers I've watched before we started this, uh, I didn't see this one. You didn't watch this one, I don't think. No, honestly, like I'm like, kind of interested in the idea, but I also know better because I've watched Thunder First three times now. God damn it. <laughs> Like, I like the idea of a the AI being adjusted for a person's comfort. Like, Patrick Stewart is now my AI liaison. Oh, my God. That would make, that would make me feel so good. Or, fuck, there's a Simpsons episode about that. There is a Simpsons episode. Simpsons fucking did it. Simpsons oh, my God. Simpsons already fucking did it. Yeah, that, that tracks. Uh, so, again, this movie is largely panned as, quote, giving up on itself before the audience does. Oh, no. uh, most critics feel the film loses the plot and the, and the script and direction don't allow these talented performers to really shine. We're seeing patterns here. Yeah. Uh, some critics feel the film misunderstands how technology works, which, yeah. Right. We'll we'll touch on we'll touch on some other patterns that emerge here mm-hmm. in a little bit here. I would also argue that the characterization of George just flat out doesn't work. This man's a creative writing professor about to embark on a fellowship to Ireland, but we learn nothing about his literary interests or worldview beyond his continued desire for McCarthy, and that he fucking loves Ken Griffey Jr. He loses his shit like an eight-year-old whenever he gets a chance to meet Ken Griffey Jr. It's mm-hmm. bonkers. 31% for both critics and audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, 5.4 on IMDb, no Razzie nominations. Hmm. So going through all of these and taking into account what we're going to be de- delving into in more in more in-depth of Thunder Force in a minute here, it really genuinely feels like Falcone's not learned 
No. And much, if anything, about how to write and direct an effective comedy. He repeats so many of the same things that have been proven not to work in his previous efforts. He repeats bits that don't work the first time, like the raw chicken and Thunder Force, the couch bed and the boss, uh, most of what uh, Gillian Jacobs does in Life of the Party. Uh, he lets bits run for way longer than they need to, like the training montage in Thunder Force, Tammy's walk from the car to the restaurant she's going to rob in Tammy, uh, Henry hitting on the president in Superintelligence, McCarthy fawning over James Corden when she knows his, she she knows for a fact she's not really talking to James Corden mm-hmm. in Superintelligence, but it just goes on for like entirely too long. Uh, not understanding how things work, nutrition and sociopathy in Thunder Force. I almost went on an entire side tangent about like bad representations of sociopathy in film and television. Yeah. We would have been here for a month. Technology and superintelligence and business and law in, in the boss. Just no idea how any of these things really work. Just right. for just for plot convenience and yada yadaing. Uh, an unclear or lost sense of character, motivations, or driving conflict, like the strained friendship between uh, McCarthy and Spencer in Thunder Force, the daughter's struggle with her parents in th- uh, in Life of the Party, and the limits or lack thereof of the AI in Superintelligence. Uh, breaking into song at weird times. Almost all of these characters that McCarthy plays have a penchant for breaking into goofy-ass songs. We know we have Kiss from a Rose and whatever the first one they did was in, uh, in, in Thunder was. Force. Yeah. Uh, there's One Week by Bare Naked Ladies and Superintelligence and Damn Midnight it. Rider and Tammy. Like, that one in particular is is kind of egregious because it, mm-hmm. it, like, interrupts and caps off, like, a like a, a tender moment between Tammy and her grandmother. Huh. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's baffling. Uh, speaking of baffling, visual rep- rep- representations or non-representations of events. Not showing the impact of the bus being thrown in Thunder Force. Yeah. These CGI gun that they put into Steven Root's hands in in, uh, in Life of the Party. And the resulting off-screen bullet impact that everyone's screaming about. Like, the entire... If you can just look up that scene at some point... I won't, but go ahead. Uh, it, it is the most clumsy confused camera work i've ever seen and also just a really obviously cg gun that's really weird it's so strange and then tammy hitting a deer in in the very opening of tammy like literally she's like she's reaching in the back of her seat to get her chapstick she turns around gets startled and tries to slam on the brakes and it just cuts to black we have no idea what just happened until it cuts back and there's a deer lying in the road i think it's a money issue this sounds like well, they they, like they CG they CG a deer that okay. gets up and like runs off, so like they had time to do that. You couldn't. Okay. Yeah, I don't, it, it's it's all it's all bizarre. It's and then also just dumb shit. Just a lot of dumb shit that wastes everyone's time and does not work, like the raw chicken and Thunder Force. Uh, misunderstanding basic sayings and things in Thunder Force, Tammy, and Life of the Party. Uh, the all I do is win intro bit from the boss where she's rapping on stage with T-Pain for Aww. reasons. And then blowing on a deer's face in lieu of mouth to mouth in Tammy, because that's how she responds to having hit a deer. So how does a director so consistently repeat these same missteps so many times for nearly a decade of writing and directing? Falcone says his primary concerns in filmmaking and our character and story. Bullshit. I agree. But listen to this. Okay. So like in the various interviews that I've listened to with him, he wants to highlight interesting and relatable characters in ways that feel authentic and funny. 
He also wants to build a good story with those characters, balancing character with narrative structure in service of telling an entertaining story. He talks about these things almost like you and I talk about these things casually. Uh-huh. Like It actually endeared him to me a little bit. It's like, wow, you actually sound like you know what you're talking about. Sounds like. Right. So specifically in relation to Thunder Force, he, ta- he, he talks in an interview about being a lifelong comic book fan. Don't you dare. He's, he's a huge fan of the X-Men and the Avengers, and he specifically name drops Brian Michael Bendis as like a favorite author. Okay. okay. He talks repeatedly in interviews about the structure of comic book films and the little ways one can subvert expectations by like shifting things around or to do something uh, interesting or compelling. The example that he, al- that he brings up in multiple interviews is the placement of the, uh, the dinner date scene. The, the okay. fact that he puts that at, like, the beginning of the third act, he says that normally that would take place earlier in the movie, and mm-hmm. thus he's kind of surprising the viewer with this turn. Sure. And th- and hearing him talk about that, it really hits me. It really feels like he's more concerned with things that typically happen in movies rather than actually thoughtfully employing structure. Like, he's not thinking of structure as a tool. He's thinking mm-hmm. of structure as, like, just a roadmap that he has to, that he's supposed to be following. If okay. that makes sense. Yeah. Falcon also refers to himself as a boring person. Specifically, he states in interviews that he's uninterested in making bold choices in his movies. Like, directly, directly says this as though he's proud of it. So he suggests that bold choices can get in the way of character. If you if you're not watching this live, Jack just like blinked incredul- incredulously. I'm <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Boring choices don't make for more believable characters or narrative. It's stupid. The other issue is that he is that they're making these movies in essentially an echo chamber. So yes. it's extremely difficult for a director to direct their spouse, who is also your co-producer and co-writer, as McCarthy is on three of these movies. It's not impossible, and I should note that McCarthy and Falcone have a, the sort of relationship that's built on mutual respect that suggests that it could be possible. But still extremely difficult, especially considering what a fan of his wife Falcone is. Like, he fawns over her comedic style so hard. He loves her too much. That's the thing. (laughs) Like, their relationship is, like, something to aspire to for a lot of people, I think. Because they they genuinely love each other. They genuinely respect each other as professionals and as people. It's kind of, like, really, like, I want to cheer for them. God damn it. I genuinely do (laughs) want to cheer for them. Man, does that really blind them to the the shit. And we'll get into why that's even more bizarre in a little bit here. But it extends beyond just the two of them. There's the the entire collective that is on the day productions. So in addition to just being them, they've grown into a steady collection of collaborators, uh, various actors, writers, and crew members, like all the way down to hair and makeup. Hmm. That they regularly bring on to include in their productions, like they actually they, they will actively vet people to make sure that they're cool and uh, huh. they they kind of if they fit like the 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 culture they want to create on their sets. They call they call them crazy checks, which is not great. Mm, yeah, yeah, but it's to make sure that people are respectful and fun and uh, which I and something I appreciated in particular, nice to extras, like they they, they aren't shitty to extras. Man, if I didn't ever watch any of these movies and I just heard what you're saying and be like, oh, these guys are great. Yeah, I know. So again, so I mentioned Steve Mallory earlier. So he's the mm. only one who's written any of these movies and he's been present in one way or another, be it on screen or behind the scenes from the beginning. 
Uh, so he's a fellow groundling. He was the only other married or near middle aged member besides McCarthy and Falcone. So while all the other all their other classmates would fuck off to go drink and fuck, they <laughs> right. would go like grab a glass of wine and just like you know be you know be friendly and middle aged. Right. He talks in interviews about his early days collaborating with them because they started like anyone else would who you would just like want to do fun stuff with from a comedy class. Like they did sketches and and a, and a twenty minute short film that they put on YouTube. Right. Yeah, so they just did goofy shit like that. Uh, he served as a writer, producer, and actor since the since the boss. I just say he didn't have anything to do with Tammy. Okay, and he also did some punch up writing on the 2016 Ghostbusters movie. Uh, and he has similar things to say about the importance of character and story as Falcone. Uh, he believes movies are a unique opportunity to highlight the good in people, and he aims to tell stories with happy endings that emphasize love, community, and positivity. He outright says he will not write a uh, a bad ending. For, for anything for anything that he wants to produce. Sure. He also notes that McCarthy's ambition as a performer sometimes pushes her to go a bit too hard on things, which is probably one of the least surprising things I've heard. He cites the the uh, one week karaoke bit from from Super Intelligence. Uh-huh. Uh, like they were just trying to find a song to work with, and he threw that out there as a kind of as a joke. And McCarthy just grabbed it, and she spent an inordinate amount of time getting the lyrics one hundred percent down. Which was like a ton of time that they could have been using to punch up other jokes, to do takes of other things. Like they could have spent that energy somewhere else. And McCarthy herself is super adamant that you need to have the freedom to bomb repeatedly to find uh, to find what works uh, for a joke. So you bomb 20 times to find one thing that works for every single joke. She wants she wants the idea or any idea to be done to the best of her ability. And. So I think all of this time that they're losing with her, right. like, you know, just throwing spaghetti at the wall, like yeah. they're not actively trying to write the thing that works well. So it begs the question a little bit: what ha- what what happens from here? What is the future? So I mentioned th- I mentioned that th- there was that Screen Rant article that said that you know has all that shell bullshit that you know is yes yeah, supposed yeah. to be Thunder Force Two, but it's not actually any information. Well. Falcone actually does have an idea for Thunder Force 2, and he has said that if the movie is well-received, he'll do it. But I don't think you're going to get that chance. But that's not stopping them. They have a lot of other things in the works, and some of them uh, them admittedly are in development hell, uh, Uh specifically uh, an adaptation of of the, uh, uh, the children's story Cousin Irv from Mars. Uh, that's been in development hell since about 2016. Okay. Uh, there is an adaptation of the of the book Just Do It. Uh, with full title of the book is Just Do It: How One Couple Screwed Their Life and Love Back Together, uh, which is about a struggling married couple trying to have sex for 101 consecutive days, no matter what. Stuck in development hell for 13 years. Wow. Uh, there is an untitled Tinkerbell project uh, uh, associated with uh, On the Day Productions. I'm afraid to ask. Right. Uh, there is also Margie Claus. Which is a musical comedy featuring Santa's wife as she tries to rescue Santa and save Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, co is co-written by Falcone and Damon Jones, and it was pitched in 2017, but nothing's happened with it since then. Screen Rant seems to think that it's possibly still going to be a thing. We'll see. But the thing that they have coming up that is confirmed, that's coming out this summer, is actually a TV show for Netflix called God's Favorite Idiot. It's a workplace comedy. That is supposed to be a humorous look at the apocalypse. Great. And what's notable about this 
is that it's not directed by Falcone. Written, yes, but it's not going to be directed by him for once. Actually, uh, Michael McDonald is directing, at the very least, the pilot. So that might be interesting. Who knows? If by might be interesting, you mean not rubbing salt in my eyeballs. Maybe, yeah, it might be a little better. It might not be rubbing salt in your eyeballs. You might be rubbing pepper, though. Who knows? Spicy salt. Spicy yeah. roulette, baby. <laughs> uh, now, when I when I talk about these films and these productions the way that I have been, what do you think of? Aside from aside from hurling yourself into the Monongahela. I was trying to figure out which circle of hell I'm in right now, but <laughs> no, no, we'll get back to Donkey. Okay, later. okay, it's fine. No, well, like, just in terms of in terms of film, what do you think of? Um, can you be more specific with the question? Please? Maybe is there another another comedic personality in the film world that some of this stuff sounds like it sounds familiar with? I don't do well under pressure. You've heard of a Mr. Adam Sandler, correct? Oh fuck. Fuck. <laughs> God damn it. So I've been Sandlered. Uh, no, <laughs> you've done Sandlered yet. So a lot of people have made comparisons between Sandler and McCarthy just because of the nature of these films, how they're so critically panned and honestly, audience panned in a lot of cases, (laughs) uh, but that she just keeps getting to do them over and over and over again. But that they uh, but they are also punctuated with these other turns in dramatic roles. So, I mean, obviously you have a, a. uh, Sandler's done it a number of times between punk, uh, Punch Drunk Love, Spanglish, and uh, and now Uncut Gems. Oh my God, so good. I still haven't seen it, but I, I would I would like to get my Uncut Gems <laughs> on. But McCarthy's also done this recently with a movie called Can You Ever Forgive Me, which I've not watched, mm. but I've heard it's amazing and it is hailed as her greatest performance to date. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a quote here about Sandler's productions. Uh, this is from the New York, New York Times profile on him that I had read. Uh, regarding This is regarding Billy Madison. On paper, it seems like a trust fund parody, though here, as in any other Sandler comedy, you'd be remiss to search for social critique. Billy's an irreducible figure, grounded in the same sort of elemental silliness that keeps kids up at sleepover parties. Everyone believes they can pull off this kind of joke. But in practice, it's one of the hardest types of humor because when it doesn't work, there's nothing to fall back on. No subtext, no context, no wit, no easy point of reference to cling to. Critics, as a group, hate Sandler comedies, sometimes fairly, but just as often because the movies undermine the project of close reading altogether. If you don't think a Sandler comedy is funny, no amount of thinking on the page is ever going to convince you otherwise. It either tickles your funny bone or it doesn't. Falcone and McCarthy films seem similarly resistant to this kind of close reading and subtext, but they lack the simple narrative structure of Sandler's films. Because... If you think back to any of Sandler's films, especially the ones from like from like mm-hmm. the er, the mid '90s to like the like the early 2010s, there's always a very thin, simple plot tying them together. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of Little Nicky, a Shakespearean adaptation. <laughs> Fuck. So while Sandler and Happy Madison have been at it much longer and released many more films than Falcone and McCarthy with On the Day, both share the same kind of familial and communal aspects. Just just like Sandler, or just like McCarthy and and, uh, and Falcone, Sandler has repeated collaborators at every level. Like we all know, he does. He mm-hmm. uses the same coterie of actors for fucking everything. Like practically everyone he works with has over a dozen credits to their name alongside him, and it's largely held that once you're in, you're in. He'll continuously mm-hmm. bring you back for anything. And the people that work with him fucking love him. 
like from Jennifer Aniston to obviously Rob Schneider to David Spade, Chris Rock, everyone that has ever worked with Adam Sandler fucking loves working with Adam Sandler. Because it's fun. It's fun. It's a vacation for them, basically. And his sets are also designed to be low stress and easygoing. There are no long days. There are breaks worked in there so he can go pick up his kids. It's like everything is made to be as easygoing and fun as possible. And then that's why he created Uncut Uncut Gems, which is the literal film version of a panic attack. Well, he didn't do that, though. Oh, oh, God, I know. Yeah. (laughs) But he he had to be talked into that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like, they they weren't – yeah, like, the Safties weren't even sure they were going to be able to get him. He was the first they had in mind uh, because they themselves grew up on Adam Sandler and – yeah, but they had some backup actors in case he didn't take it. But they they managed to talk him into it. Uh, but he's so wildly uncomfortable with it that, like, when after he made it, like, he he uh-huh. had to call his mom and like warn her about the nature of the movie. Oh my so, god! Yeah. So that she was, she was like, or he was like, no, I think you'll really like it, but it's gonna be really hard for you to see me like that. Right. Right. But yeah, so they have all these all these people from at every level that continuously come and work with them. Uh, they're both marked by extraordinary luck and thorough connections as well. Uh, the entire trajectory of Sandler's career is almost nonsensically lucky and built on the privilege and goodwill of a ton of people, from the owner of the improv to Lorne Michaels to Amy Pascal at Sony. Like, none of, like, without any of those mm-hmm. people, there's no Adam Sandler. Uh, Sandler also has this weird luck of cultural timing, which I found particularly interesting in uh, in in parallel to uh, McCarthy and Falcone's work. Yeah. So again, from that from that profile, still a lot of people are committed, a lot of people are talented, even, but most do not become Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler, of course, did, and even with the benefit of hindsight, he struggled to explain to me how his life turned out so good. Hard work was part of it, he says. Luck, he admits, had something to do with it, too, though Sandler, though Sandler's kind of luck transcends even the stock fantasy of the big break. His kind of luck was cosmic and compounding. It started, very likely, before he was born, with two peasants in Eastern Europe getting horny at the exact right moment so that generations later, their great-great-great-great-grandson would come of age as America was yearning for a soft-edged Gen X slacker. McCarthy and Falcone built upon their Groundlings connections to form early co- uh, collaborations with Gary Sanchez Productions. So again, that's Will, that's Will Ferrell, that's Adam McKay uh, for Tammy and the Boss, parlaying that into relationships with New Line, Universal, and Netflix. Similar to Sandler's soft edge Gen X slacker aesthetic, Falcone and McCarthy's films seem to aim for the niche of gentle, goofy comedy. Comedy that doesn't hurt and harkens back to a simpler comedic time, which as of late, a lot of people want because everything's on fucking right, fire. Right. Now, whether they're successful is another issue entirely. This, taking into account with the way they talk about their projects and the uh, and their approach to story, like I said, it really makes me want to root for them. Like I yeah. want one of these projects to fucking work just to show that just to show us that they can do it. You know, like. I don't like any of these fucking movies that they've done, right. but I like them as people after having experienced so much of them. Like, and I just, I want to see them turn it around. The problem is, is like their ethos about character and story being like mutually exclusive from bold choices yeah. is going to hold them back forever. Like they need to embrace that you can, that you can do those things all in one package that you have that you got to be able to make bold cinematic choices and bold character choices to make a compelling film to make a compelling comedy like you 
comedy is such a fine line to walk and like to continuously play it safe the way that they have. I think it's just going to hold them back and it's just going to hold hold comedic film back. One of the uh, my my favorite comedies from the last probably like the last 10 years uh, is, a, is a different thunder, Tropic Thunder. I God, I love that movie. Like it, it, it has so many. It is so problematic in so many ways, but oh, it's God, so yeah. fucking good. It, and I wish that somebody would have given her a copy of that and said, like, listen, you can take risks with your characters, and you can have character growth because there's a ton of character growth in that film. Yeah, and still have to be really funny. I would advise that she not make an actor be in blackface the entire time as a as part of the gag. Uh, but the whole way through the, the director's commentary. Do <laughs> I have to give him credit for the dedication to oh, the character? God, I Robert Downey Jr., ladies and gentlemen. Literally but, any other actor, it would have been a career suicide. Yet, yet somehow, I somehow somehow I don't. It it it's it's mind boggling to even consider. But anyway, but yeah. that's where we are with on the day productions and Falcone and McCarthy here. That is that is the end of my suffering and journey that I have gone that I've gone through to bring you this tier today. Uh, I'll tell Pinhead he can take the night off. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I I'm really not in the mood. There's I have a headache. <laughs> it's not him. It's me. Well, he's just like, what's the point? Here he kind of did it himself. <laughs> I I don't want the sights you've shown to me. <laughs> Uh, the, you may have I mean I, I muttered fuck many times throughout the last hour but uh, there was one where I was like fuck and that was because <laughs> I was like well it seems like one of the issues is that they're doing everything on the day <laughs> yeah it's 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 like the name it's of the production like company telegraphs it <laughs> tells us exactly what the problem is you can work <laughs> you can work a joke until it works before you're on set yeah, or if you if that's really the way you have to work, you need longer production times. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yes, In the much better movie Drive by Nicholas Winding Refn. He didn't have rehearsals prior to uh, shooting. He would have rehearsals on set, and he built that into the schedule so that the actors could get where they. Oh fuck, that's Oscar Isaac. Wait, what? In Drive. Oh shit! God, I like I. Liked him in that movie, but he hadn't like become like a mega star yet. Yeah, huh. yeah, Dude. he was still under the radar. That yeah. holy shit! I think we watch Drive again, and then Bronson, and then Bronson. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God. Yeah, like you just need to do this intelligently. Yeah, L- literally, just like a little bit more intention and and care into what yeah. into what you're doing and you can produce something that is legitimately funny but also tells a good story with good characters like it's not it's not an either or trade off and I, I don't understand that i don't understand that ethos you know and, and with like the first movie you can argue well they made money so who gives a shit but yeah they they did but they also very rapidly started making yeah. less and yeah. less until they weren't Again, yeah. I mean, given we will never know the financial figures behind uh, Super Intelligence and Thunder Force yeah. because streaming is a fucking black box for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, you've now put more thought into those five movies than they did. And I'm never going to think of them again. <laughs> Check our website for uh, Derezzled brand official Derezzled bleach mind wipe. <laughs> uh <laughs> 
And you too can forget everything we've just said. We should really we should get get like Clorox wipes made very <laughs> cheaply with just a Durazzle brand logo on them. You know, we could probably get one of our artsy friends to make like a little stamp, just like Oh yeah. I hey, bet Vince would do it. When he's not using his, his grundle his grundle powers. Oh no, he's gonna use the grundle powers to search out the person who'll give him the best deal. Oh yeah. Yeah. God damn it. It's good thinking, Vince. Good thinking. We should probably take a break. I really got to pee. Yeah. So let's take a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about what worked and didn't work with Thunder Force. Welcome back, everybody. We are now going to discuss the stats regarding Thunder Force, which will be pretty easy because it didn't get nominated for anything. It. I don't know if you know these numbers yet or not. I have looked at them, but I've uh-huh. also looked at so many damn Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb numbers that sure. I've forgotten them. Uh, what do you think it has for Rotten Tomato score? Uh, for critics, I want to say it's like a 27? 21. Oh, man, I overestimated. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how about for audience? Uh, I remember these being close. This is like one of the rare occasions, if I'm not mistaken, where audience was like yeah. surprisingly close to the uh, yeah. to uh, to the critic score. Twenty four, twenty two, twenty two. Yeah. Damn, it was that close. There okay. was uh, one of the other movies you said had a really close critic. Audience. One of one of them was identical. I think Super Intelligence. It would they were both thirty one percent, if I'm not mistaken. That's, it's wild that Melissa McCarthy, Ben Falcone movies can bring a. <laughs> bring the people together. We can all agree. Like a bridge over troubled waters. <laughs> the on the day productions is here to unite audiences and critics in pain. If you listen closely, you can hear their screaming sync up. <laughs> uh, how about its IMDb score? IMDb. I want to say this was the lowest IMDb out of any of them. I want to say it's a three point six. It's four point four. Really? Yeah. Oh, damn. Okay. Still low. It's it's low. It's it surprises me they're not a little lower given the Rotten Tomatoes scores. Yeah, yeah, you don't have that. Um, so it it was nominated for uh, not a one. Razzie, if I were to, this is staggering to me. I don't know. Uh, oh yeah, that would have been this year. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like, what year did this come out? God, it's been a long. Well, yep, it's twenty twenty one. So um, yeah, this is uh, the this was just not awarded something this year. Oh, no, I would have. Definitely nominated it for script. Easily. Oh my god. And yeah. The utter lack of any conflict, the or, or the, the or the active avoidance of conflict that it felt like. Do you think it was a worse script than Space Jam 2? I feel like there's more connective tissue in Space Jam 2. I it's think... just not as it's just not good tissue. Man, that movie makes me so mad. <laughs> I know that one specifically. I, oh God, I do. I agree. There's more connective tissue mm-hmm. in Space Jam Two. Aside from that, I think they're on par in terms of how fucking bad these scripts are. They're bad in different ways. Yeah, that just happen to equal out. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair assessment. Also, out of all of the on the mm-hmm. on the day productions, this is the only one that's just written by Falcone. Okay, that's good to know. I would probably also have nominated them for director, worst director. Mm-hmm. I don't know that this is her worst performance, but I probably would have nominated Melissa McCarthy. I think, you know, I don't know. I don't know that she would won, I don't, but I wouldn't nominate her. I don't know if I, you know what, for the sheer reason of getting Diana the musical out of that category, 
then yes, I would I would nominate Melissa McCarthy then. But I I agree. I don't think I don't think that she should win necessarily. Then again, no. I haven't seen any of the other right. uh, uh, worst actress nominees in in season eighteen of Dazzled. <laughs> we'll have watched every movie that came out that year. Uh, I think <laughs> she she may have gotten away with not getting nominated if not for that awful fucking Urkel impression. My God, that goes that went on, on for so goddamn so long. long. I'm like, who's this joke? directed towards it her it, it's sure. just it's just for her that's it like i barely remember that character what, and Uncle? i'm in, well like watching it firsthand oh sure yeah um, like I mean, i'm, I'm aware he, like culturally well that's the urkel's like a garfield in that he kind of <laughs> transcended the uh the source material to become like he's just like, yeah. like a, a presence that continues to haunt jaleel white to this day <laughs> I'm just imagining like a Garfield and an Urkel like kaiju's like fighting over the oh city my of Hollywood. God. Just lasagna and Can can I admit something on air? Yes. I fucking hate all of the Garfield memery <laughs> around like you know I love cosmic horror. Yeah. Like that's my shit. Oh wait, so wait, so like it is specifically you're not a fan of I'm Sorry, John? No. Really? No. I'm kind of surprised that. by that. I that... I think because, like, well, I grew up and I really, like, I really liked Garfield as a kid. So it's that, like, one thing I'm like, leave this small little pure portion of my child alone. <laughs> and, like, not only are you, like, are they corrupting it with the movies, uh, the live action movies, which were the fucking worst. Uh, but then to make it a cosmic fucking horror that is truly upsetting, like it is deeply upsetting. Yes, if if the character was named Heathcliff, I would <laughs> I would be like, I'm quite impressed by your ability to write cosmic horror. Like it's really good. But that it's Garfield specifically uh, hurts hurts me. <laughs> See, I think with Heathcliff, you have to write him into like a uh, a parody of 19th century literature. Like, like it's like he's just taking the role of Heathcliff from right. Wuthering Heights. Yes, but he's the cat. He's the trash cat, voiced by Tom Hardy. Yes. <laughs> oh my god! I, I think did he play Heathcliff at one point? Did he? He might have. I'm not entirely have. sure. Um. <laughs> no God. Now, now I'm just replacing all of Tom Hardy's characters with Heathcliff the cat, <laughs> and that makes Bronson way more uncomfortable. Bronson is very uncomfortable. I. <laughs> Do like him in Dunkirk? Uh, oh man, he'd be that would pretty be fun. good. Heathcliff as the, like the bomber Inception. pilot. Inception. Oh my god! See, this is the meme I'd be okay with, <laughs> but Garfield, no Garfield, all of that shit. See, Garfield, no Garfield's both funny and sad. <laughs> it's it's like the first two or three I read, I can laugh at it, but then the more I go on, I'm like, I don't feel good about myself. I mean, I, more so, I feel bad for John. Yeah, but that's yeah. that's it. I feel fine about myself. Ugh, all right, let's move on. Because <laughs> starting to gag. Um, we don't want to sully this Garfield kaiju that, no. you've, that you've summoned. <laughs> no, the kaiju's fine. Uh, the cosmic horror. Anyway, anyway, so I, I nominated Melissa McCarthy. That's right. I'm like, how the fuck did we end up here? <laughs> yeah, that was a hell of a tangent. <laughs> Yeah, so we nominated Melissa McCarthy for worst worst actress. I think we have to nominate Octavia Spencer yeah. for worst supporting actress. I, so I actually I went back and watched uh, Hidden Figures mm-hmm. uh, the other day, specifically to remind myself that she can act because 
we have a similar problem in this as we have in Space Jam 2 with LeBron James in that right. he's so bad in that movie, it seems like he's never even, like, been in the same room as a script. Yeah. In this, it, she is so lacking in any charisma or emotion yeah. that she it, it feels like she's never acted before. She feels like she's taking some, like, really strong painkillers. Kind of, yeah. Like, she, like she feels kind of just deadened. Yeah. And, but you go back and you watch her in other movies, like, she's fantastic in Hidden Figures. Is she more emotive in other Yeah! Films? Oh my god, yes! The fuck? Like, in, in both, like, overt and subtle ways. Huh. I would not have guessed that based upon uh, her performance. Yeah. No, like, she she absolutely deserves the Oscar that she won. She absolutely deserves the recognition she has as an actress. It's just not there in Thunder Force. And, like, it? I've seen people talk, like, she like the the friendship is so well portrayed between the two of them. I'm like, did we I, watch the same me? movie? They're bad friends. Um, <laughs> There's no reason for them to be no. friends at this point. Like we get the like the entire backstory of how like uh, of how Melissa McCarthy's character like fucked up her entire right. plan and like her uh, uh, like the whole narrative that the one was holding the other back and one didn't think well nope. think very highly of the other. Like it's a coin flip whether or not they're actually going to adhere to that during any part of the sto- yeah. any part of this this narrative. Aside from them, I don't think anybody else needs to be nominated. Um, no, I think everyone everyone else is, well, maybe Palm Clementive. But I think she's given so little to work yeah. with and her writing is so, like, paper yeah. thin that it's, I mean, first off, she shoots lasers and her name is Laser, which Falcone himself makes fun of in interviews. It's like, dude, you did this. Like, <laughs> you, you, you put that down. So I I've also can't help but keep remembering the fact that she misuses the idea of the femme fatale. And like, yeah, that could have been a joke. I mean, I know it's supposed to be a joke, but it's not well, it's not well written or well delivered or appropriate. I don't know. It's it. I assume that she had like a weekend free and they're like, hey, do you want to make a couple bucks? Get another IMDb credit? Yeah, maybe. Let's let's move on to critiquing this before I get depressed. Yes, let's yeah, let's 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 go for it. Uh and we we've talked about most of this already. So for the cast, uh Jason Bateman. Bateman's absolutely the best part of this film. Um I also didn't mind Melissa Leo. I didn't mind her either. The way she's written, she's kind of like one of those characters that like if you've ever watched the terrible YouTube channel Cinema Sins, she's one of those characters that would be pointed out on that channel as being good at Cinema Sins. I am not familiar with this. Uh, it's it's fine. Gotcha. But yeah, yeah. No, she's she. You know, she comes across as like this grounding critical voice yeah. throughout the film, and I think she plays it very effectively. It's just I, I think the twist with her. I hate the twist. The the twist is both unearned and super super easy yeah. to predict. Yeah. It would have been more interesting to me if she's like, no, I'm just this way because I hate you. <laughs> like that would have been funnier to me than fuck what, the kid that like kept bringing in drinks that disappeared in the middle of like have him be the guy that oh my god um, <laughs> yeah it's actually a revenge plot from him from the fact that McCarthy getting fired like, because yeah like completely shat on him and yeah. made him feel bad and anxious about his job performance for no reason <sighs> yeah <laughs> I was reading what I wrote for like what did I say worked for the story and here's what I wrote. 
so bland that it's easy to forget, leaving nothing more than a weird taste in your mouth. Is that kind of filmy? Is it? You remember when I'm going to hate listening to that part? Oh, the mouth. I'm going to edit it for God's sake. <laughs> If we we just we just actively chose to do mouth sounds as a mm. bit. Like I have to keep those now. It <laughs> so yeah, there's not a specific aside from the raw chicken. There's really nothing that's like stuck with me that I'm like, oh God, I wish I could forget that. Besides the Urkel, which I had successfully forgotten until you brought it up. Oh, I'm gonna. I'm, I would remind you. I'm. Not, I'm never. I'm never gonna not. As far as themes go, I I like the idea of seeing a middle aged superhero. Yeah, I, uh, I, that's the thing. Like the base idea. Like with a lot of these movies, the base idea mm-hmm. is not bad. I like the idea of a middle aged female superheroes. I and I wanted to incorporate that into the fix. I don't think I quite did it as well as I'd like to. Have. Okay. As far as production, that fucking chicken looked like chicken. You know, I will say for as fucking gross as it was, they really did a good job crafting it. Because the first time I watched it, I had no idea that it, that was going to happen. Because why right, right. would I? <laughs> uh, and it, yeah, it's absolutely disgusting looking. But then whenever you learn that it's actually, like, very thinly sliced pear yeah. that's been, like, colored and molded to look to be in the shape of consistency of raw chicken, then it's impressive. Yeah, like, it's the still, props it's, department, like, congrats, guys. You're disgusting, still, but congrats. Yeah, it's still gross and you're perverts, but God, <laughs> it's a, it's really, like, viscerally effective. Like, it still makes me uncomfortable yeah. even knowing what it is. And then I didn't know where to put this, so I just wanted to bring up. There's an original song for this. There is an original song for this, uh, which they they I I pointed this out to you when we did when we we watched it together because you you didn't watch. <laughs> no, the, no, 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 no. As soon as I could get out, I got yeah, out. You, yeah. The first time you just turned it off as soon as you fucking could. <laughs> yeah. I actually listened to the song because one of the things that like I noticed the first time I was watching it was there was like that like that chugging metal riff that kept going throughout yeah. some of the action scenes. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of neat. You don't yeah. see that very often. And then like they just did the same thing with it and did nothing interesting with it the entire time. And then you come to learn that they got Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm, Corey Taylor from <laughs> Slipknot. Scott Ian from Anthrax and like a bunch of other people from other metal bands to like do a super collaboration for this fucking Thunder Force theme song. And it's not a good song. It's not a good it's, song. It's very much not a good song. Yeah, it's not something I liked, uh, but it is interesting. It's it's interesting that it happened, I guess. It's no Adam's family rap. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> So the thing that the, the thing that kills me about that song is the Adams Family rap or this one? No, this one, okay. the Thunder Force one, the not Adams Family rap. Uh, the thing that kills me about it is like those are like the people they got are are like so prolific and well known in the metal world, right? How fucking much money did they pay them to do this? That's so, like, a well, like, really good question. That's the other thing. Like, again, we will never know the budgetary information for this fucking film because Netflix never tells anyone anything. We have minor hints about about money from Ben Falcone in interviews. Okay. Very minor. Specifically, he refers to superintelligence as having like a mid-level budget. Okay. Which, like, considering how cheap their movies are by today's standards, like 
I don't know if that's like another $30 million budget or a $40 million budget. Sure. He refers to Thunder Force as a very expensive movie. Okay. But not expensive enough to show the bus crashing into a fountain. No, apparently fucking not. <laughs> not expensive enough to make the wire work believable. <laughs> like, not... Well, in order for that to have worked, they would have needed time to train, which apparently they did not. I, I, given how fast a lot of their productions have gotten, I highly doubt that they had that time, especially considering how many other movies McCarthy does on a regular basis. Yeah. Like, on one hand, the reason they're probably getting made is because of how quickly they make these movies. But... I would not be surprised. Yeah. Cause you're, you're not, you're not getting severe delays yeah. and whatnot. Like, you know, they can churn these out. But they the, just shoot but them they, over a summer. Suck. <laughs> yeah. They're just not yeah. good. Any, anything else that worked for you? Ooh, boy. Um, I mean, we mentioned that Ben Falcone was pretty good in his role. Yeah. In, in his, his little cameo. Ken Kenny, appearance. I think. It's Kenny. Yeah. yeah he's K Kenny the henchman. Yeah. I think, I actually think like the henchman gags kind of worked. There's a couple that went on a little too long, but again, oh, that's. Oh, yeah. And Kenny's is chief among them, I think. Like his scab, I think, is yeah. focused yeah. on way too much. I mean,. Honestly, the fact that he survived being, like, super tased in the face for as long as he did is kind of wild. Right. But, like, he, but that, is, that kind of speaks to his ability as a comedic actor. And yeah. like, I mentioned there was another performance of his that I really liked. And I didn't get a chance. I, I forgot to actually mention mm -hmm. it. In Life of the Party, uh, he is driving Melissa McCarthy to her parents' house. Okay. And they're talking about what had just happened because this is right after she'd gotten the divorce bombshell dropped on her. Uh, and her husband drove off in their car. So she calls up for a ride to get mm -hmm. to get to her parents' house. And she's talking about all of this. And he's he's like, yeah, no, this is absolutely crazy. He would do this to you. I never I never would have thought. Yeah. And then the conversation ends with, well, here's your stop. Thanks for use. Or thanks for riding with Uber. So he has this like really heartfelt conversation right, with right. her about this horrible thing that just happened. Uh -huh. And it turns out he's her fucking Uber driver. He's never seen again for the rest of the movie. It's <laughs> actually a pretty good bit. <laughs> Okay. All right. I I would like to see him do m that and not the writing part. I really he needs to stop. He needs to stop writing. Honestly, it just which was the one he didn't write because that one that was super intelligence. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Actually, now that I mentioned that, yeah. No, he did write Life of the Party. So that yeah. I think I th honestly I think it's mostly directing. I think he needs to, hmm. he needs to step down from the director's chair, which he does seem to be open to doing. What with Michael McDonald and supposedly right, 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 yeah. uh, and supposedly another one of their coterie, there's a a script supervisor has been with them since the huh. very beginning. Sheila Waldron uh, is also like stepping up into the director's chair for God's favorite idiot at some point, at least according oh, okay. according to Falcone in interviews. Uh, so it is interesting to see that he is kind of starting to take a step back from that okay. role. And uh, who knows? Maybe that's maybe that's the key. Do I want to watch it? No. But if you if somebody else watches it and tells me that it's not bad, I will believe them. If I see reviews saying that God's favorite idiot is actually good, mm -hmm. I I will give it a chance. Thank you for taking that bullet for me. I'll take that <laughs> bullet for everybody. But aside from that, no. If, if as soon if I hear if I see one more thing saying Ben Falcone needs to stop, then I'm not I'm not even going to think about it ever <laughs> right. again. So there's there's not a whole lot to talk about here. But what didn't work? <laughs> Don't you do that to me? <laughs> Don't you fucking do that to me? Well, uh, we've already said most of it. Yeah, we, that's the thing is that we kind of we would kind of be rehashing a whole lot of it. The chemistry between the There's leads doesn't work. No chemistry between the leads. Um, the fucking long joke. The the uh, long long joke of the Family guy -ing. Oh yeah. Also, like, why does this movie exist? 
that's the thing. It's like like this is supposed to be like kind of a send up of superhero films in a yeah. way, but it falls into all of the trappings that almost every early Marvel film falls into. Like it feels formulaic in a way that is super detrimental. And like the way and the way that Falcone talks about structure and the way he the way you know we talked about he kind of employ yeah. he doesn't employ structure, but but like I guess structure employs him. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, in Soviet he, Russia, he's a he's a he's a slave to the structure. He's a slave to the structure, and yeah, yeah, he yeah, because he's he's too beholden to the structure, mm. and like he thinks to where he thinks just like shifting the positions of little things right. is like a major revolutionary wow, thing. Yeah, like wow, um, we the dinner happened later than expected. Like, no, like bud. Ben, like you you learn the structure so that you can break it. Yes. And I don't think he's willing to. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. He's scared to do anything that's fear conventional. Fear right, yeah, life. yeah, yeah. Ben, it's all right. You've you've already fucked up, so you can go ahead and. <laughs> I will give him. He sounds very self aware. <laughs> yeah, I, I. Unlike some of the people we've covered, some of the movies we've covered, I don't actually hate either of these people. No, no, not at all. I, I again, I want to see them do well. I think if they yeah. did something really good together. It'd be great. And McCarthy can be funny. Like, I've yes. enjoyed her in movies that are not directed by her husband. I mean, hell, she is. She has been capable of being funny in some of these movies, too. I mean, like, for for as much as I hated the boss, mm-hmm. some the repartee between her and Kristen Bell is <laughs> is enjoyable at times. She does well when she's partnered with somebody who can keep up with the repartee. Yes. That's why she works so well with Sandra Bullock. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, Chris, Kristen Wiig? And Kristen Wiig in uh, in Bridesmaids. Less so Her in Ghostbusters. My, but... A little bit less so in Ghostbusters, but they have that kind of Wild Wild West problem where like they're both yes. play, they're they're both kind of playing the same role, mm-hmm. and, but they're not doing it antagonistically like uh, like what was happening in that situation. That <sighs> I'm sure we'll tackle that movie whenever we really want to hate ourselves. Ghostbusters. What, the 2016 Ghostbusters. Yeah. I'm not against it. That would. I'm not even against covering it so much as I just don't want to hear people bitch about it. I mean, I, frankly, yeah, I I, oh, I get so tired of that because yeah, yeah the, so uh, you know, season fifteen, we'll cover that one. <laughs> um, great. Is there anything else we want to point out before we fix this disaster? Maybe don't make your villains sociopaths. Yeah. Then call them miscreants. Like yeah, the representations of like mental illness as this villainous thing is so goddamn like problematic and shitty and overdone and and like they don't even make any attempt to address that in any reality here and and, and in addition to that i think we looked up like the prevalence of sociopathy in oh yeah and, we did yeah and like for the percentage of people that it tends to impact there would be a lot more villains in this fucking movie we would be, this universe would be doomed doomed my God, it would it would be fucking horrible. You'd have just like the Brotherhood of Mutants every five blocks. Yeah, it's like, it's like th- there's so many turf wars happening that this one Sheets is safe. Um, Sheets is a gas station. Look at a gas station for those of you who don't know. And it's delicious. They've been made to order food. It's absolutely fantastic. Hot dogs ain't bad. Hot dogs ain't bad. Oh, hot dogs are, ain't, ain't bad and also cheap. Oh yeah, you can stack cheap. them with so much. The stuff. number of times oh I like God. drunkenly wandered into the like IUP sheets. Oh my God. I used to live right there. across from one of them. It's dangerous. It was so dangerous. Weight. I got hot dogs all the time. <laughs> and being a hot dog, cheese bites. Weren't those hot dog fingers really funny? In that. Uh, oh everyone... God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> what? 
just oh uh, god like they were and they were also uh-huh. deeply troubling it was, it was it see that feels like a joke that should have worn it worn itself out but it, and it didn't. didn't they somehow kept making it better I just, and i think it's because they we're talking about um everything everywhere all at once if you haven't seen is, that it as much as i love the batman Oh and and I love Batman as a character. I think this might actually be my favorite movie of the year. It's easily my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, if I, it's it's if not, it's tied for top with the Batman. I mean, the Batman was real fucking good. I think I like. I had a much more powerful reaction to this. Like I think that we've abandoned Thunder Force to just talk about good movies. God, it's so much. <laughs> it's so good. I think they're. The reason the hot dog fingers work, there's a world within the world within the world. Yeah, where <laughs> people have hot dogs for fingers. I think that running gag works because they're not playing it for a joke. Yeah, that's the thing. It's just it's it's accepted as part of that world. Like, yeah, it, it is like it is visually upsetting and a joke to us. Yeah, but to uh to Michelle Yeoh and uh, uh, and Jamie, Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis, Curtis in that moment, it ain't. It's just yeah. a fact. And I think that's why a lot of those bizarre moments work is because yeah. the characters accept that as a normal part of whatever world they're coming from. Yeah, it's not extraordinary to them. It's absolutely no. normal that they bite into their lover's fingers and it sprays <laughs> condiments all over their face and they then play <laughs> piano with their feet. It's <laughs> And that's why you can have a moment because because the characters are being so sincere uh to their character, the actors being sincere to their character. You can have moments where Michelle Yeoh's stroking Jamie Lee Curtis's face with, with hot, hot dog, dog fingers. fingers and it's both disgusting, and funny, and, and, and sentimental sweet. and touching yeah. and sweet. Yeah. You can have a 10 minute long conversation <laughs> in subtitle be- with two rocks. With two rocks. Okay, oh, Canyon. You, <laughs> it's and the best scene I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> the entire theater will be silent and will cry. Yeah. Two rocks. <laughs> uh. <sighs> Fuck, I cannot wait to see what those guys do next. I know. Uh, please, Daniels, <laughs> give me more. Um, God. Uh, so before we continue to talk about that movie for the next hour, because I easily <laughs> we, we could. easily could, yeah. Um, let's just go ahead and take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll try to fix this disaster. Yes, we will. <laughs> I'm the Geeky Dad. And we're the Multiverse Kids. And sometimes we review movies... Shows or books. But all the time, we have fun. Join us every week and um, listen to our show. And sometimes we might even have a special guest. So join us at the Geeky Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Drazzled. We are going to, now that we've razzied Thunder Force, we are going to (laughs) derazzle it. And I'd like to start with our casting. Oh, real quick. If it wasn't clear, this should have been Worst Picture. I don't know if we actually oh, explicitly mentioned yeah. that. Uh, here's the golden um, ghost cookie cutter. It's the Durazzle. Oh, podcast right. No, we did talk show. about we did talk about that. Um, I'm just delirious because of all the research I did. I just wanted to show off my cookie cutter. That's a good cookie um, cutter. <laughs> I I don't think this movie would have happened without Melissa McCarthy. No, so I would love to recast her, but it wouldn't make any sense. I don't. I think based on the rules of of the game here, yeah. I I don't. Yeah, I don't think we can get away with uh, with with recasting her. So what I did instead was I, I recasted Emily. You recast Octavia Spencer. Yes, I know she can act. I don't think 
she works with McCarthy. I think she could work with McCarthy. I don't think this was the role, and I don't think that she should be directed by Ben Falcone. Agreed. That, and I also kind of just missed this actress. Uh, I really miss uh, Yvette Nicole Brown. <gasps> oh. I haven't seen her in anything oh in a minute. Oh, my. Yeah. I love her. Uh, she's in – I know her mostly from Community. Yeah. I know she's done some other film roles, but – Oh, yeah. She's been in a whole bunch of stuff, uh, TV and film-wise. Mm -hmm. She's also like a Walking Dead super fan. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Back when, but back whenever I was like really into Walking Dead and like watching it as like mm -hmm. keeping up with the seasons and watching Talking Dead – uh, yeah, yeah, she yeah. would pop up on Talking Dead all the time, and she keeps like thorough notebooks of oh, her, really? like that go along with her her viewings. Like it's it's kind of wild. So remember when I mentioned the Office Space ripoff of Milton? Yes, that character's name is Clyde. Uh, Clyde. I, I I had the dig for it. Okay, uh, I'm replacing that character. Okay, there's what. Who I would cast if I was directing it. And then there's who I'm going to cast for this project. Okay. Uh, I, I'm i replacing the the character, the actor with uh, Brian Posehn. <gasps> um, yes. Who, like, is oh, great. Like, so, I've been yeah, no, I fucking love Brian um, Posehn. <laughs> but who I want is Bruce Valanche. <laughs> like, oh, man. Yeah. Bruce Valanche would be so much fun. Yeah. It, <laughs> and, like, again, if this was our movie... And I was directing it. First of all, Melissa McCarthy wouldn't be there. No. So I could find a lead actress that would work a little better with Bruce Valanche. Whereas I think because this would be saying, a much more Bruce Valanche heavy picture. Yes. Um, <laughs> I might just cast Bruce Valanche as uh, Lydia. <laughs> oh God. For the production, I when when you were talking earlier, I briefly considered like, oh, Jim Rash, but he wouldn't do it. I don't think he would. No. I mean like I mean he's he's got like he is friendly with them mm -hmm. but like I don't think I don't think you'd do it. It's not his t t uh, type of project. Yeah. Um so uh another person that I've I've missed seeing their work Brian Smalls? Bre Brendan Smalls? Sorry. <gasps> oh yeah. god. Um, from and the, even the tone of the film would be a mixture of Metalocalypse and home movies. It would be a weird, it would be a much weirder tone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to push. And H. John Benjamin would be in there somewhere. Hmm. Possibly. Probably? Yeah. If we were, we can only recast two, but if we were to recast a third person, I forget the name of the guy who worked at the deli. We didn't even mention him in the Summer, uh, he's not played really by Kevin Dunn, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He's not bad. He's just I would not a memorable character. I would like that character better if it was H. John Benjamin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also changed that. Uh, spoilers for what I'm about to say. <laughs> I replace. I switched that character's occupation from deli owner to high school gym teacher. <laughs> so this is just Coach McGurk. <laughs> s s you caught me. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched that show since high school. Me neither. Well, not since college, but yeah. It, um, God damn. I, I basically went from home movies in high school to Metalocalypse in college. Hell yes. That's a show that doesn't hold up super well in some areas, but it's still enjoyable. It, there are episodes of it that are fantastic, and there are episodes of it that are deeply uncomfortable and shouldn't should no don't do that. Will I watch the movie when it eventually comes out? Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to go with him, besides knowing he can handle humor, 
and cartoonish humor <laughs> is the metal music. So oh he oh my god all yeah, those he metal would sliders are a... pushing we're pushing them all up to and 11. they'd be good mm-hmm. they'd be real. Well, that's mm-hmm. the thing he would probably write it all himself. Yeah, because he writ he literally wrote all of Death Clock's music and it's. Like I I'm not good. even really in the metal. And I was like, it's oh, actually good. good. It's good metal. I have a long-standing tradition with one of my friends from college that we send each other the <laughs> birthday death day song every <laughs> every <laughs> birthday. That's excellent. And then you have the fucking Toki song. Where yes. He's doing like a J-pop thing in <laughs> Heaven for a Cat. It's like this man is so oh. talented, and I don't know why I haven't seen him do anything in a minute. I know. So yeah, I would like to see him direct. And then we're going to move on to the story. Let's do it. We open on Emily's parents as they watch the night sky. They're scientists viewing space through a massive telescope. We see them for only a moment before the cosmic rays fry them to a crisp. Oh, no. Yeah. The city around the telescope, however, is changed. Depending on how close you were to the blast, the epicenter of the blast, the more potent the power you received and the more mad you've become. Ah, okay. So it's not just like, oh, these people are 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 uh, are these just people... sociopaths, and then they got horrible powers. It's, right. Oh, this affected a blast radius of yeah. people. So it it would be like the epicenter of a nuclear blast. Instead of like absorbing ra- radiation and getting ill from that, you have the effects of the the space madness. <laughs> and the 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 further away you are, the lamer your power. <laughs> You see I'm so going. I'm so happy. <laughs> oh man, you put the taint sniffing power in there, didn't I you? I didn't because I just thought of it today. Damn it! <laughs> uh, but it was because of that thought. But the coffee nipples that uh, made me think of coffee nipples. <laughs> so Emily, it's a little girl at this point. Yes, waits for her parents to pick her up at summer camp. Um, sorry, science camp. Science camp. Yes. Okay. Yes. Like space camp or just general science camp. My parents didn't love me enough to send me to one of those. To I don't know what what are those. I I'm, my my parents were, hated me and locked me in a basement. So <laughs> my That's... summer camp was in the basement. <laughs> I played my, my, my summer spiders. camp. My summer camp was one hour of recess in the backyard on a chain. <laughs> it's got dark. Um, yeah, she, she's, parents... she's in science camp. Science um, camp, sure. While across the street, Lydia is. And I debated whether or not to put her in fat camp or not, mm. because I don't – I want to show that her mother sucks, but I also don't want people to be like, eh, she's in fat camp. It could, like, be like a, it could be like a like a military, like disciplinary camp oh, kind of yeah, thing. Oh, like, yeah. I could do that. So it, like, it's, it's not like the specific fat camp mm-hmm. vibes, but it's like militaristic and kind of – and like heavily regimented. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those. Um, yeah, but she fucking hates it. And like, she fucking you hates know, it. It's constantly getting demerits and thus peeling potatoes and right. shit. <laughs> right. So they're both waiting for their parents to pick them up. They are nowhere to be seen. Sure. So for, for Lydia, her mother for just plum forgot. Um, yeah, that makes sense. She's been running around just like drinking and hanging out with dudes. So her – I've also changed him from the deli owner to her uncle. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. I named so her him, uncle's Co- Coach McGurk. Yes. Uh, so Uncle Coach McGurk uh, <laughs> arrives and gives the girls a ride home. Coach is the high school gym teacher and not a deli owner, which is whatever he said. Yes. He also kind of like breaks the news to Emily like, hey, 
Your parents aren't coming to pick you up because they're fried. They got fried. Oh, <laughs> that's not news you want Coach McGurk no. delivering to <laughs> no. you. No. Uh, so Emily is burdened with the need to finish her parents' work. Unlike the movie, Emily is trying to cure those who have gained powers. Because some of us have flight. Some of us can find a taint through a wall. <laughs> <laughs> Lydia is burdened with feeling like a freak. Um, she's a metalhead in a school that produced and idolizes the hometown band Chicago. I really like that, both just because of who I am as a person, but also <laughs> because of who McCarthy is as a person. Yeah. Because she went through a goth phase. Okay. I, 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 they talk about this a lot. She went through like a goth punk phase, which she insists she went through just to be different. Like she, not because of any kind of depression or self-hatred or anything yeah. like that. It's just like, why would I want to look like everyone else? I'm going to wear a cape and put on weird theater makeup. This tracks. Yeah. yeah. So b because both their parent, well, the one parents, they're dead and the other ones just suck. Yeah. Uh, they've like become, become trauma bonded. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's, it's like, it's healthy on one hand, but it's unhealthy on the other. Right. Like, like it's supportive, uh -huh. but it's, but it's also like built on a really jagged foundation. Correct. Along with Clyde, who is Brian Posehn, the trio form a garage band named Thunder Force, a reference to the farts the cafeteria food gives them. That's great. There's actually a reason for the yeah. fucking name instead of just like a bunch of nonsense yeah. thrown around. It was, it was not hard. Yeah. They could have done that. Uh, like, a, like 30 seconds of effort. <laughs> yeah. It was something I came up the first time watching it. Also, like, the metal angle is very Brian Posehn as well. Yeah, like, yeah. It was like, like his whole fucking shtick. And that's why I was like, well, for this movie, it probably should be Brian Posehn. We'll save Bruce Valanche for something else down the road. <laughs> um, I don't know how into metal Bruce Valanche is, I, but. <laughs> I listened to a little bit of his, his comedy. One, he has mouth issues as well. Yes. Like, oh, absolutely. Some raunchy ass shit. <laughs> yes. No, Bruce Valanche is super fucking raunchy. That is correct. Uh, so the friendship ends when Lydia gets Emily fired from her internship. Okay. At. Wow, oh, Jack, you really couldn't think of anything, could you? NASA. At BioTweakers Co. Because they tweak bi biography. They tweak it. I don't. <laughs> Originally, <laughs> when I was, the first draft they... was Evil Company. So. <laughs> <laughs> Was oh, sweet, sweet Jesus. <laughs> I'd, I'd used some of m most of my creative energies elsewhere. It's like Evil Co. Uh, <laughs> which is probably better than Tweakers. So we're just going to call it Evil Co. Evil Co. Um, sure. The, the CEO of Evil Co., Ted Bundy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that coming at all. I didn't either. What was I doing? <laughs> oh, I know what I was doing. I, I named him Ted because that's also an, like a go-to like – I either put like XXX to like fill in later or I'll just like, they're like, Ted, Steve, Evil yeah, Co. Sure. And then I was just like, oh, I'll just keep it. Uh, so now he's Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy, CEO of Evil Co. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Ted Bundy personally asked Emily to come work for him as uh, a favor to her parents who used to work for his own father. Not at Evil Co., but. Yes, at Evil Co. Yes, at Evil Co. Yeah. Okay. Which I guess is kind of a spoiler. For later on, because you can't really like, mm. oh, your parents worked for Evil Co., huh? Oh, Wonder no. Wonder what they were up to. Um, really helping the world. Yeah. 
uh, spoiler. Um, <laughs> uh, we immediately cash in the Chicago joke using the song If You Leave Me Now as Lydia and Emily part. Okay. Which don't listen to it because it will get stuck in your head forever. It's in your head right now, isn't yes. it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when I was, I was like upstairs writing this draft, uh, and like added the Chicago joke, and I was listening to their music because I didn't. I, I like came up with the Chicago Chicago joke first, and then I was like, I can't remember their music. So Belinda came and was like, "Knock, hey, you okay in there?" <laughs> 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 yep, just writing Thunder Force. <laughs> uh, we see Lydia go to the high school reunion, not looking for Emily. But looking for Emily, you know, she's like, oh, I'm not here for her. But like, oh, she, she she's reminded she's a loser because she, she didn't get along with these kids in high school. Why was she now? Sure. She gets blackout drunk and takes a cab to Evil Co. She is saved from arrest by Emily's daughter, who says that she's a, a guest of Dr. Emily. Daughter recognizes her from like some old photos that are at her grandmother's house. So while Tracy runs to find her mom, Lydia snoops around the lab. It is clear that Emily is kind of like the molder of Evil Co. She's placed in the basement and ignored by the rest of the business. Hmm. Lydia notes the large amount of super jacked mice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good evidence of testing. Right. When she sees a bunny, she tries to set it free, only to find out that it breathes fire. Oh, damn. We had elemental powers. Yeah. Okay. Panicking, Lydia chases the bunny, tipping a tray of syringes that all miss her. Except for one. Meanwhile, the fire rabbit has caught the bottom floor of Evilco on fire. <laughs> Emily arrives just in time to see Lydia's one massive right arm, her lab on fire, and hundreds of yoked mice jumping through walls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great image. I love that. <laughs> fucking swole ass mice yeah. just escaping by any means necessary. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is Emily fired, uh, but so is her lab partner and life partner, Allie. Uh, right. Lydia is freaked out by the hero juice she was just injected with. She's afraid that since she now has power, she's going to be evil like all the other people that have powers. Ah, okay, yeah. So there's that stigma. Mm-hmm. Emily wants to abandon her ass. She's pissed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's Tracy that argues that like you, you can't just leave her with like one jacked up arm. So it's so it, it's it's less that she's going she might explode over the weekend right. because reasons, right? Because your cardiovascular system has has, it, has <laughs> increased by a thousand percent. Yeah, it's more like the one Looney Tune episode where I think Tweety Bird has like a giant arm or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> The Tweety Bird Trogdor episode. Right. Yes. Yeah, you know the one. So they both sit on the side of the curb. So like Allie and Emily and Lydia and Tracy are all like sitting on the curb as like Evil Co. is on fire behind them. Um, and like the fire <laughs> Man, department's like putting it out. Their their fire suppression system sucks. Yeah. Yeah. That one <laughs> that one rabbit really caused some trouble. And while that's happening and they're like the fire's being put out by the fire department, Laser Mantis zips by on her way to like commit crimes. And impressed, she gives him like a nod, like nice, nice, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like respect, yeah, <laughs> game recognized game. Jumping to Uncle uh, McGurk's place, Lydia, Emily, Allie, and Tracy come up with a plan. 
Lydia needs the rest of the hero juice to even out the, you know, arms issue. She can't just have like one massive arm for the rest of her life, but they need a lab. Yes. That's when Coach says he'll sneak them into the high school science lab. Hmm. Okay. Brian Posehin. Is it Posehin? Posehin. Posehin. Yeah. Um, like really hitting that H. Yeah. Posehin. Posehin. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Posehin. Posehin. Is now the chemistry teacher. Yeah. And catches them. Like breaking oh, in the building. Oh, man. Um, but he's the cool teacher, so he makes a deal with them. He won't turn them in. If they let him be a part of the superhero team and they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? We're not a superhero team. And he's like, yeah, you are. You're jacked. You're super smart. You're a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> and he dubs them. We're Thunder Force. After like the band, like the band. At this point, this is when we learned that Emily specifically can mind control the yoked mice oh, through a device that Allie has created. So she's her. not invisible. She's not invisible. It was Thank a God. Because no, no, invis- A, invisibility is a creepy power, and B, it was not used well in the fucking movie. No, it's like, just stand over there and don't get noticed. And tase people from time. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Mind-controlling yoked mice is yeah. <laughs> way fucking better. Right. It's it's like what Aquaman does with fish, but with, like, but with, swole but with mice. mice that fucking lift. Yeah. <laughs> just... <laughs> <laughs> but the the hat the the device basically looks like um disney's like signature mickey mouse ears cap oh my god <laughs> so that like the mice can, yeah yeah obviously obviously the mickey ears are like the like the the, the, they, the signal right <laughs> do my bidding <laughs> fuck <laughs> so the the corner store fight scene i pretty much want to keep that as is um uh, i I would I would choreograph it better. Oh yeah, no, it's not like a one to one, but like narratively, Narr- okay, narratively, I like I like I do like that as like a te- like a testing of their of their mm-hmm. ability. But yeah, it's it's such like a clunky mess the way that it's put together yeah. in the film. Yeah, I I I, I agree. Ke- I agree with keeping it in just- the introduction of Jason Crabman, <laughs> and then I want immediately. After that, a Ghostbuster-style montage of, like, the city beginning to, like, meet them and trust them because they're so used to people with super- superpowers being evil. Yes. Um, and also that, like, montage from Ghostbusters is, like, really good. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And the montage ends with Ted Bundy, who is now running for mayor. So is is Ted Bundy uh, Bo- uh, Bobby Cannavale? By the rules that we've established, yes. Okay. So, so he's Ted Bundy instead of the king. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He's like, I'm not related. It's just. It's just a name. Just I don't know name. what to tell you. Like, I'm not evil. You can call me Theo. Teddy. Ted it is. Okay. He'd also have to play like a super, like a much older version of himself, given our roles, but whatever. Because he gave them the uh, internship when they were young. So now he'd have to have like old people make up. Or we can cast Willem Dafoe. <laughs> I'm, those are the two options. The only two. Or we can have Bobby Carnival. Carnivale. Yes. Uh, be young Willem Dafoe. 
<laughs> I don't like that at all. No, that's uh, bad. That's really weird. That, like, what happened to you? How, yeah. Like, how did how did this happen? <laughs> oh God. Uh, bones melt. You know what? Choose your own adventure, audience. <laughs> the options are laid out before you. <laughs> We're sorry. <laughs> uh, so he's running for mayor now. Yes. Um, he sees his former employee on TV. Um, and he's like confused. And pissed, but also kind of excited because that means that she has completed the hero formula. Yeah. Uh, and thus mildly aroused. And thus he's mildly aroused. And if it's Willem Dafoe, very well endowed. Like upsettingly so. Uh, like upsettingly so, in fact. <laughs> so Laser Mantis asks if she should kill them, to which he's like, no, like, I'm an evil businessman. We'll sue them. Uh, well, yeah, that tracks. <laughs> yeah. So Lydia has dinner with Jason Crabman while Allie and Emily have an argument about Lydia. Allie doesn't understand how Emily can be okay with palling around with this person who ruined their careers. And then after that argument, Allie is served a subpoena demanding that she hand over the formula that they've developed. Ah. Because it was, it was started at Evil Co., therefore it's, it's property it's, it's of It's their Evil intellectual Co. property, yeah. Um, Nothing like adding some IP law into your comedy about superheroes. Uh, some irony to that, but. <laughs> yeah. Laser Mantis looks at her like villainous to-do list and sees wreck a high school on it. <laughs> not realizing that it's Thunder Force's base of operations. Right. Um, and when she heads there with her goons. After she knocks over the bank, after she after right. she desecrates a church, right. picks up some milk, some eggs, some butter, pisses into the water supply, pisses in the water supply, mm -hmm. fuck up, fuck up a high school, fuck up a high school. Your choice of which one. Uh, <laughs> she, she sees her chance to like steal the, the hero juice, and she's like, "Well, shit, yeah, I'll do that." That church can wait. That church can wait. However, she is defeated, retreating without the formula. Uh, as as she does, she shouts a question back at Emily. Asking how someone with such cool parents could be so fucking lame. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Laser knew her parents. I'm about to get to it. Okay. Like the movie, Lydia blindly throws a bus at Mantis. Except here, she hits Brian Hussein with the backswing. So when she like swings oh, it backwards. Um, worse, Allie has given Evil Co. the formula fearing further loss for her and her spouse. In crippling pain, Brian Bosanian asks Lydia to come closer. Closer. He tries his joke one more time. <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? asks Lydia. Pushing through the pain, Brian says, your marriage to Ben Falcone is ruining your career. <laughs> Lydia responds, my marriage to Ben Falcone is ruining my career. Who? God damn it. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, we then cut to the sad third act montage. Lydia vi visits Brian Hussein in the church. Um, it ends with Lydia returning to the lab to ask Emily what needs to be done to cure her of her powers. I, got, I forgot to write this in the script, but the reasoning behind Emily creating the superpowers uh, formula was so that she could know what to cure. Okay. So she's, Hmm. It's not flawless logic, 
but it is. So I guess she's using she's using the creation of it to, uh, to get as an excuse to more closely examine because mm-hmm. otherwise she where is she getting specimens where how right. is she actually going to look into these powers like she can't yeah. just like you know batman a fucking empowered person away and like, right, dissect right, them right. on a table or some shit right it's how you get a man bat it's how you get a man bat <laughs> just except we didn't have enough problems already the end goal is to cure the the people yes and Emily shows up as much as she's enjoying her powers. She's kind of taking responsibility for being a fuck up, admitting she's not responsible enough. Uh, and com- she's also kind of convinced that she's turned full miscreant. Hmm. That the powers have turned her evil. Okay. Uh, and when she goes to the high school to tell Emily this, she discovers Allie in tears. Allie tells her that Emily has gone to visit Ted Bundy to ask him about her parents. Hmm. Allie already knows the truth about Emily's parents, as does the entirety of Evil Co., founded on the platform of Evil, who employed her parents, who were also evil. Evil. Uh, She shielded Emily from the truth because her image of her parents kind of directed the entire tra- trajectory of her life right we might need to name the company something that isn't evil code <laughs> so that actually works a little better because otherwise she's like the dumbest smart person on the face you, you of know the like bio tweakers <laughs> <laughs> it would probably be like biogen or organics biogen yeah limited or something incredibly boring yeah not. Something very innocuous because the it, because it, it's actually evil code. Right, right. You don't go around naming yourself evil code if you're actually evils. Only the good ones do. That. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we we cut back and forth between Allie and Lydia and Emily and Ted Bundy as they're having this conversation. So like they're both kind of like making this realization at the same time. Um, it's called editing. <laughs> The snark. <laughs> just so we we learn that Emily's parents were had intentionally opened the hole to space to let the space space rays in the cosmic rays. They wanted all that power for themselves, um, but they just stretched the butthole too wide, um, which let in all the cosmic. Yeah, rays. be careful with that sphincter. Yeah. If it, it gets out of control, everything's tearing, and there's just cosmic they, radiation everywhere. They had no idea it was going to be so potent. <laughs> Ready to give up, Lydia is visited by Tracy, who tells her that her mom never came home mm. after having visited Ted Bundy, which that'll happen with the Ted Bundy. Specifically, yes. Specifically. <laughs> Lydia tells Tracy that she'll go get her mom, except when she arrives at Bioorganic Limited and not Evil Co. anymore, <laughs> uh, she is attacked by Emily. Emily has accepted that she is a villain like her parents. Oh, Emily's yoked mice overpower Lydia long enough for Ted Bundy to deliver his supervillain speech. It so happens that years ago, he was only close enough to the blast to get lame superpowers. Specifically, he's the taint sniffer. Worse. (laughs) Prehensile nipples. Ah! (laughs) No! At last. Why did you do this? The prehensile nipples predates all the other terrible powers that I've come up with today. Oh, God. Uh, it gets worse. Um, oh, grabby nips. <laughs> <laughs> 
at last he can take the formula and get sweet superpowers like super strength or flight or whatever, um, which he then takes the formula. But instead of super strength or flight, his nipples shoot out through his through his shirt, extending <laughs> like two meaty whips. Oh, no. Wait, so it's just like it just like <laughs> augmented the power that he already had. Yeah, yeah it just made him more. God. Uh, before so, they were like little like pinkies. You know, you got like little rat tails. Like the, the, I was thinking they're like giant five, five to six feet long and oh. still prehensile. Just, oh, just, you know, my, my nipple bull whips. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. In the ensuing madness, Jason Crabman frees Lydia, who pushes Emily into an adjoining room. Jason Crabman then fights Ted Bundy, the nipple whip man. So crab claw crab claws versus versus nipple whips. Yes. I... Uh, he reveals that he too is on the outer rim of the blast, a young boy playing with his pet hermit crab. Only now does he realize that he never had to be evil. His boss chose to be. Yeah. <laughs> a crab nipple whip fight ensues. Lydia and Emily fight. Uh, is there something you want to say? I just... <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I. I... I, I hate it. I hate it so much. It gets worse. <laughs> of course it does. Go on. Lydia and Emily fight. Lydia telling her that she can't be evil. She was always the best of ev- at everything. Her moral compass. While Lydia was the fuck up, she always could rely on Emily to steer her in the right direction. She admits that her life has sucked since Emily left it. Just as they make up, Laser Mantis arrives to kill them. However, she is lit on fire. By the body. Tracy has arrived with her own animal crown. This one looking like bunny ears because she controls the fire rabbit from the beginning. Yes. And that makes way more sense than just having her be a speedster out of nowhere. We had these three powers to choose from. And you get the third one. Uh, (laughs) Jason Crabman has the upper hand, upper claw. Uh, both Thank the whipple, yeah, didn't want to, almost slipped up there. Uh, <laughs> both of the whipple nips clamped in his claws. He goes to clip them, but nothing happens. Oh no. A look of shock on his face. Jason Crabman says, my God, he, he likes it. Oh no. He's into the crab. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the nipple pinching specifically. Uh, well, well, yeah. There's no, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's nothing in and of itself wrong with that. Right. But whenever your nipples are you know, six pre- feet long, and six feet long prehensile whips of evil, and you're a Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy flexes his nips, <laughs> and Jason Crabman's claws explode. <laughs> Like two Death Stars. <laughs> Jesus Christ. There's just meat and shell everywhere. Yes. Oh, uh, no. As Jason Crabman lies defeated, waiting for death to take him, Thunder Force arrives in the form of Lydia, Emily, and Tracy, which they fight and win because that's how superhero movies go. Sure. Uh, we then cut ahead uh, several months later. Emily and Allie have finished the research, coming up with a cure for the powers. Lydia is first in line. Lydia says, don't worry, Thunder Force will never die. And that's when we cut to Thunder Force, the band, 
in a garage playing their latest single, Thunderfucked, uh, <laughs> much to the chagrin what, so of- is, is Brian, sorry, So Brian Posehn survived? He did, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. If this were my movie, no. Uh, <laughs> his last words would be, your relationship with Ben Falcone is ruining your- Your career. Your career. <laughs> Uh, but I didn't, I didn't get to take a last cut at this. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, as they're, as they're playing in the garage, much to like Tracy and Allie fucking hating this and, um, coach McGurk, like banging on the door, like, okay, put that shit down. <laughs> um, somebody's like some evil superheroes, like running by having stolen a purse. And that's when Thunder Force reaches underneath their, uh, musical equipment and, shoots shoots several darts of cure juice into the villain. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they like trank him. They trank him. Yeah. And he tries to like get up and super run again. He just kind of like stumbles. I didn't know how to end this fucking movie. Other, I mean, it could have just ended with like the garage song, but it's stupid. Like, like, I think the like, garage song over like a, uh, a montage of them, darting various yeah. uh, villains or or superpowered people around the city but like as the credits are rolling yeah I mean it's already a montage heavy movie so might as well tack that last one on there why not it's, you get some good like sight gags like yeah it, you know like some ridiculous setups for them to get the darts to where <laughs> they need to be like maybe like a dark yeah. Rube Goldberg machine of some sort <laughs> yeah I, I can't decide if I want Jason Crabman to I think he embraces his powers now knowing that he doesn't have to be evil he's like no I've so do we still get like his tiny claws yes. like growing yeah. back out of the stumps of where his claws once were yeah I think we can make him like a real tiny little dark gun yeah his little claw he's helping he's helping <laughs> he's trying his best he's, just doing, um, he's got his claw hands I he's can't... doing everything he can uh, and we're gonna spend the whatever's left of the budget on the CGI needed to retract those nipples back into oh my god uh ted bundy's body is uh, gonna be a lot of nipple heavy cgi <laughs> yeah and you know what i was actually thinking of when i wrote this besides nothing it just came out of the <laughs> out of the cosmic void please please similar what, to where what, what was your brain doing <laughs> Well, at first I thought of prehensile nipple because that was gross. Um, <laughs> Fair. And then I was like, well, that he has to, it has to be worse because he takes the juice. Yeah. And then I thought of the scene from John Carpenter's The Thing where the person's chest bursts open and there's like weird tentacles flapping about. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, yeah, that. That. Yep. That yeah. tracks. Hilarious. hilarious. Tracks. Per- perfect for a... <laughs> Yes, that's hilarious from the well well known well known sci fi comedy John Carpenter's The Thing. Christ, what have you done? Uh, we can now take Thunder Force and my fix of Thunder Force and yeet it into the same uh, Lovecraftian Eldritch Abyss that birthed Garfield. The what what what's that version called? I I'm sorry, John. Yeah. That. <laughs> so locking those in an airtight case mm-hmm. and hurling them into Relia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Fuck. We did it. We we 
did we did it jack we never have to think about this fucking movie ever again (laughs) i am i'm so happy (laughs) (laughs) oh dear god i really this is a really bad movie it's so it's so very bad it it could have been something like it, it those could... are always the hardest ones the ones that like you had the potential to not suck it's not like troll 2 where like there's no no, you, no. You know, God. every dimension of the multiverse troll 2 is troll 2 yeah and no and it needs to be and it needs it, to be. It's, yeah. it's the cosmic constant yeah troll ab- 2. absolutely without that is the linchpin of holding our universe <laughs> together at this point if you go back in time and erase troll 2 you've destroyed the multiverse yeah entirely Sorry to spoil Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness <laughs> for you, but <laughs> that was it. That was it, folks. That was that was the last Marvel movie. Hope you liked it. Oh God! <laughs> and with that, we've completed season one of our show. We sure did. Holy fucking shit! I don't have words or thoughts. Um, I do have <laughs> thoughts, but they're all about like nipple whips. Um, we gotta we gotta fix that. Yeah, I'm gonna need to watch something before I go to bed. <laughs> I can't go to bed with with that in my skull. No, uh, uh-uh. no, you're gonna have weird fucking dreams. I don't need Bobby Carnavale, 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 nipple whipping about my <laughs> my dream land. I'm just imagine just walking around just like on a nice summer day, just like <laughs> just flapping in the flap, wind. Just... <laughs> no, real. Bobby, don't walk near that fan. <laughs> oh God. Oh, God. No, he keeps doing it on purpose. He's into it. Just kind of like jumping hurdles with his nipples. Oh, God. <laughs> Flying behind <laughs> him in the breeze <laughs> as he runs. I don't really get a bra. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to solve it. Can like wrap them up like little cinnamon oh, buns. Oh, God. With that, and thank you, everybody, for listening. This <laughs> leave you on that nightmare there. As we mentioned, this is this is our season finale. Thank you so much for everybody that has uh, supported us up to this point. Uh, you're all lovely and wonderful, and we can't wait to be back for season two. Uh, if you didn't listen to the last episode, we did leave a programming note that uh, for the next two episodes are going to be uh, deleted scenes because uh, we have a bunch of deleted material from this entire season almost uh, that will uh, serve as uh, just something to something to whet your appetites while we get things ready for the next season. Uh, so that should keep us busy through like mid June. Mm-hmm. We think. also we are. Uh... We'll be guesting on um, "You Hate to See It." We'll be, yeah, we'll be we'll be guesting on on uh, "You Hate to See It," which was the very first podcast we ever guessed yeah. it on, and mm-hmm. also on the Moose Lounge, I believe. Yes, and and also keep an eye out for us on the Cultworthy Classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be going on there very soon. Uh, Antonio was gracious enough to have us come on and do some more bullshit with him. Uh, I say bullshit because that is what we that is exclusively what we what we traffic in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you have enjoyed. This monstrosity that we have put forth for you and anything else we've done this season, please uh, like and subscribe. Please review the show anywhere you possibly can, uh, whether it's Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser. Please help other people discover this show uh, so that we have even more people to come listen to our stupidity next season. Uh, And if you have any suggestions for things we should cover, or if you want to give a review for any of the 
uh, fixes that we have put forth, or if you really just want to send us your therapy bills for all the nipple whip related <laughs> nightmares you're having, please email us at derazzledpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow us on social media on Twitter at derazzledpod, on Facebook at derazzledpodcast, on Instagram at derazzled underscore podcast, and on TikTok at dullboy underscore jack. If you had prehensile nipples, you could they could like hold a bib for you, like when you're eating. Like pasta? Um, no, because you're going to get it mixed up with the pasta. You're going to bite your own nipples, Jack. And it'll be awesome. No! <laughs> uh, join us next season. Uh, we're sure to... To razzle-dazzle you. Yeah. <laughs>